I'm like, specs be damned. I'm going to do it my own way. Packing bowls and freeing souls from America's heartland. You're listening to Bowl After Bowl with Lorian and Spencer. Bowls and butts and bowls and bowls. Bowls and butts and bowls and bowls. Yeah, it does seem a bit woozy, doesn't he? Get me a bottle of whiskey and a bowl. It is on, folks. It is on. It is on. Oh, brother. He's so good. Let your wannabe. Now, here I am at Fun Spot, busting my ass. Do you know how bad you sound? This is a new live son of a bitch. Try a taste. Guaranteed to blow your mouth's mind. It was a gift from the heavens. Oh, yes. It's Sunday. And live on the No Agenda stream. Live on the Bowl After Bowl stream. We're bringing you a gift from the heavens. In the form of a new Bowls with Buds. It is October 1st, 2023. And I'm your host... Sir Spencer, Wolf of Kansas City. And I'm his lovely co-host, Dame DeLorean. And joining us in the bowl today for the very first time, an extra special guest. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Stephen Bell. Hey guys, how's it going? How we doing? Doing great. Doing good, good. Happy October. Happy October indeed. Happy October to you too. Definitely. Oh man, thank you so much for uh, sitting down with us. I've been anticipating a little convo for quite a while. I'm glad to be here, man. Yeah, definitely. Glad that you're glad. We're all glad people. It's a glad place to be. Yeah. Um, we've got so much to talk about, so I kind of just want to set some, uh, I don't know, get some programming stuff out of the way first up front. So for those who are uh, joining us just from listening to the No Agenda show that just got wrapped up, thank you for sticking around. This is Bulls with Buds, which... It's just basically another episode of Bowl After Bowl. We do them uh, right in the same feed, but they're sporadic. They're not regularly scheduled. They're just kind of when we can get a bud to sit down with us in a bowl, uh, program them. And sometimes we do them on Sundays like this right after No Agenda. Uh, our regularly scheduled bowl is every Tuesday night, 9, uh, 9 o'clock Central, right after DH Unplug wraps up the No Agenda stream. And today our guest is Stephen Bell. He is the Man on the furthest horizon with the scissors in podcasting 2.0, if I might say so. Uh, he's the man behind such apps as CurioCaster, LN Beats, Sovereign Feeds, Music Side Project, and the Split Kit. Who knows what else he's got cooked in the future. We'll get uh, to talking about that today. But if you out there in uh, digital radio land, live podcast world, have a question for Mr. Stephen Bell, you can always call in and leave a voicemail on our voicemail line. That number is 816 607 3663. Yeah, or you can text it in if you're voice shy to 816-607-3663. That's right. Uh, and that takes care of all of the programming material. Well, should we also mention it's a value for value production? Oh, that's probably a good idea. Yes, it is a value for value production. And uh, you can contribute any value you might receive. Uh, Mr. Stephen Bell will receive a third of all those sats as they come in. It actually occurs to me that uh, while we're setting this up, I probably should have pinged a live pod. So let me go ahead and knock that out as well while we're talking. But um, just to get things rolling here, 
here in the bowl, especially with our buds that are here in the first time, we always like to talk origin stories and how things started and how things came about. And uh, invariably, that always starts with the big show, the one that just wrapped up, No Agenda. It's kind of what brought us all together. If we could all point back to the one commonality at the very top, uh, there's a lot of different weird rabbit holes that we might go down after, but the whole big common denominator is that No Agenda show. And so we're interested, Stephen, in how you first got hit in the map originally. So we are a homeschool family, and we were hanging out with some friends, and I've got a buddy who's pretty libertarian, and he was asking if I'd ever heard of a show called No Agenda, and I was like, uh, no. So he's like, dude, you gotta check them out, these guys are awesome. So I went ahead and listened, and uh, this was right around the uh, the COVID time, and right around when um, the all the election stuff was going on, and... It did seem like it was a stolen election. So there was all that coverage and it's like, holy crap, like I'm not hearing anything like this anywhere else. So that's how I found out about it. And that was right around the same time. So I think that was December of 2000, maybe 2021. Um, The podcasting 2.0 stuff had just taken off. December 2020 and 2021. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was 2020. It was the election stuff. That makes sense. Yeah. And um, I think Podcast 2.0 is only about six months old, but um, I I work as an electrician and I used to work out in the field and I would bring my iPod and when you're doing an electrical install, man, you can get a world-class education when you got eight hours to listen to podcasts all day long. But I had moved into the office and doing um, electrical estimating work. I couldn't find a podcast player I liked, so I decided I would build my own. And that was just right around the same time that I started hearing about this podcasting 2.0 thing. So it's just one of those happy coincidences that I was doing this thing for myself, and I was like, you know what? Let me look into this value-for-value thing. Maybe I can get a little bit of money doing it and release this thing I'm already building and see what happens. And here we are. Beautiful. And so that podcast play you're talking about is CurioCaster, yeah? Yes, yeah. And uh, man, it was it was very basic. It was just enough to do what I wanted because I wanted something to update and let me know what podcasts were playing. And there was a whole bunch of stuff that kind of did what I wanted, but I was using my email client to supply or um, subscribe to the RSS so I could see if there was new feeds. But uh, it is a big pain in the butt. So I decided to do the easy thing and make my own podcast player. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take the easy route. Yeah. The path of least resistance. Exactly. Makes nothing but sense to us. So it was no agenda and then pretty much right away podcasting 2.0. How, was it something Adam said that alerted you to that or how did you find the podcasting 2.0 side of things? Yeah, I was listening to no agenda and he had just mentioned this podcasting 2.0 thing and I was like, oh, okay, let me go check this out. I'm making a podcast player. wonder what this is all about. And I was looking at... Um, Man, there was a podcasting directory. Um, I can't think the name of it, but they charged for it. And I didn't like that, and I didn't really like the iTunes directory. So he started mentioning how it was a directory that was open for everyone, and I'm a cheap ass at heart, so I was like, oh, free directory, I'll start using that. Beautiful. Yeah, what's better than that? Yeah, exactly. And then to find out like everyone there was so liberty-minded and that... I know we've kind of moved away from this, uh, and I understand the marketing, but maintaining it as a platform for free speech was always uh, – that that sold me because um, 
I think you should. I think you should have the right to say stupid stuff and let totally. the marketplace of ideas determine whether it's an idea worth pursuing or not. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, the, the the Bill of Rights and that being the very first thing that's mentioned <laughs> is the freedom of speech and expression. Uh, hello. Yeah, and I I don't understand why people are so afraid to hear someone else's ideas and that we have to silence them because. I've had my ideas changed on things because people are able to say stuff that I don't necessarily agree with, but I have to assume that there's a portion of the population out there that is reasonable and that they have these ideas for for very good reasons. And I need to hear those because I have blind spots in my own thinking that I'm not aware of. I don't know what I don't know. Right. So when we're censoring people, we're actually preventing ourselves from getting closer to whatever the truth is. I like that perspective. Um, yeah, I think that even if you know I vehemently disagree with something someone's saying, they they absolutely have have to have the right to say it. And then, uh, you know, whether you listen or change your mind or argue with them or ignore them, all of those decisions lie with the individual. But, you know, you, sure, can, yeah. you can say whatever. Like, I, I agree that a lot of people just get bent out of shape. Uh, I want to yeah. add the censorship yeah. resistance aspect is when Spence and I have had tables at our local um, Bitcoin block parties here in Kansas City, people will come off the street knowing nothing about podcasting 2.0 or Bitcoin, because they saw the term censorship resistant on our podcasting 2.0 banner that we have up. So this is something I think a lot of people agree with, and it's a good way to draw new people in, too. Yeah, and you know, the the COVID thing and the vaccines and everything, I thought there were more liberty-minded people out there than oh, there, there actually are. Um, that, that was heartbreaking to see how many people were willing to just go along to get along. Yep. But there still are enough people using stuff like censorship resistance. It helps you to know who your allies are. No doubt. Definitely. Well, it was a great event to kind of put a litmus test out there for the population, you know, like... Uh, I, Lorian and I got somewhat involved kind of mainly through the legalization, the cannabis legalization movement. We kind of got peripherally involved in the greater liberty movement in general. And we, uh, were delegates for Missouri to the 2016 Libertarian Convention in Orlando. Uh, and we kind of saw some sausage being made of like the Libertarian Party with the capital L and the TM on it. (laughs) And it's kind of a similar thing there where during the pandemic rolling out, I was like, oh, yeah, this is like where the libertarians will shine. And all of like the party line libertarians were like, well, you know, this is like a bad play. This is a bad time to flex for liberty when all of this, you know, yeah. uh, during a global crisis emergency. And I'm like, wait, what? no, this is like the perf. This is the only time it actually matters to flex for liberty. Like, it's easy when things are fine and it's peacetime to be like, oh, yeah, you should be free to do whatever you want. But then, like, our liberty is most at threat when they have all these emergencies that they create or stoke the flames of or whatever, used to their advantage, let's say. That's, like, the time you've got to be fighting for it because that's when it's being taken away. I was, I was so blown away by how many people were like, well, you know, now's not the time. Yeah, and um, I don't know. Have you ever heard the stat that only 10% of the uh, American population was uh, actually interested in the Revolutionary War? And I don't know if that's true or not, but the more I talk to people and see that um, they 
they really just want to be left alone and are willing to, again, go along to get along as long as their lives maintain that comfort and that peace. And the problem is, is that comfort and that peace can be taken away so easily when you have this totalitarian government. And my whole thing is we should be fighting for the rights of the minority because you never know when your group's going to become the minority. Definitely. All it takes if the democracy is for 51% of the people to say, hey, we're going to change the laws. So yeah, we could – in a democracy, we could easily go into Sharia law if enough people get into politics and vote that in. Right. Um, there's nothing that prevents that. So that's why I've never liked uh, even calling ourselves a democracy. I've always liked the idea that um, the majority is there to protect the rights of the minority. Yeah, I always like that uh, that common phrase of, you know, democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, in my mind, like to reimagine it as one mo- one wolf surrounded by millions of sheep could still get to eat. we got to protect <laughs> the minority. Yeah. <laughs> it's... I don't know. It just hits a little closer to home on that. Um, well, that's cool. Yeah, I think that the free speech aspect of the podcast index is one of the most important, if not the most important part of all of it. But uh, what really woke me up to it was the nice integration with the Bitcoin Lightning Network and really making value for value be this real-time instant feedback um, with all of this interaction, I think that uh, that was the the free speech aspect combined with this uh, new way of doing value for value was what instantly sold me. Like as soon as as soon as Dave and Adam laid down that vision, I think episode four was like the first one I heard because they played it after a uh, no agenda show, kind of like in this current time slot we're on right now. And I was like, "What's this podcasting two point stuff?" So I went back and listened to the last three, and then I've been listening to every single board meeting since. And I was immediately like, yeah, we've got to get, we've got to turn all of this stuff on. It was December of 2020. So probably right around the time uh, um, that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, were you, um, were you familiar with Bitcoin prior to the podcasting 2.0 stuff? I was, and I used it and I had some, uh, mostly like it didn't really matter to me. I used Bitcoin as sort of a novelty. I was interested in it. I thought it was kind of, uh, I don't know intriguing but i mostly used it for degenerate gambling per, per, uh, purposes okay. i i did some uh, i did a lot of online poker gambling with it i lost a lot of it uh betting on election stuff that that same election cycle in like uh uh 2020 so it was kind of a that was kind of the pain lesson i had to go through to really understand the larger thing that bitcoin represented or what what it could be <clears throat> I didn't yeah, see it as a money. I saw it as like Chuck E. Cheese tokens on the internet. Sure, and and there's an element of that because I use Lightning because it's the best tool for the job. And if a better tool came along, the way I see it is it could be in pesos and I can always transfer my pesos into whatever currency I want. I just need something that's programmable and that people can easily on-ramp and on uh, off-ramp. Totally. So I think Lightning is just happens to be the best tool right now. Um, I don't like the fact that it's so decentralized with the uh, wallets and maintaining your own channels and stuff is such a huge pain that I understand why the vast majority of people are going to use something like Albi. But when Albi goes down for maintenance, there's no value being exchanged because the vast majority of people, that's what their wallet's on. 
I think we're still early enough that I'm willing to deal with that and hope that better things come along. But dude, this is uh boostergrams are only two years old. This is all so very new. I know it's pretty crazy. That part of it. Um, yeah. I think like in terms of maybe what could be better coming along, that's, that's up for debate or that's up for grabs. Like if something comes and proves itself, then that'll be a new thing. Um, but what's really cool about the Bitcoin side of things that woke me up to, I don't know, every, what got me going to Bitcoin meetups, what got me like actually interested in Bitcoin itself was the ability to run a node yourself. And it, I, I was like, uh, I was a guy who did some minimal stuff myself, but I, I wasn't really like any kind of, uh, even a script kitty, you know, I, w- I was still just using, uh, Podbean and, um, in fact, I still am hosted on Podbean. Um, I'm trying to get like self-hosted, but like I wasn't really DIYing everything. Um, and the first thing I ever DIYed was was the node. I started out w- by renting a voltage node. It was sort of like a rent a node situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how I learned how to operate one. Because back then, in December 2020, right when we heard the vision. We were just like, hey, we need a node. We need to turn this thing on. We need to make it work. And back then, the only way you could make it work was set your own node up and make a Sphinx tribe. Oh, yeah, the Sphinx tribes. <laughs> you, remember, you remember Sphinx? Did you ever play with that at all? No, Sphinx had kind of fallen off by the time I got involved. It was never really, like, uh, crazy blowing up by any means, but... I don't know. It was just so unintuitive. That's what always cracks me up when I hear people say uh, that things are too hard to use right now. I'm always like, go go try to make a Sphinx tribe and live in that world and then tell me that things are too hard over here. Back uh, in my day, we had to get the Sphinx tribes rocking. Exactly. Well, uh, dude... You know, because um, we've been trying to figure out how we can get people to on board with hosting their own music. And we're looking at, dude, an RSS feed is dead simple. And there's tools that mm-hmm. build it for you. And if you can drag and drop files in your Windows File Explorer, then you can build your own or and host your own feed. And yep. um, I've talked to people and they said, look, you've got to understand that um, – Later millennials and gen alphas have no idea how to use the file explorer because everything's an app and everything's yep. on a tablet or phone. And that blew my mind because I thought these guys grew up with computers. This would be something that's super easy for them. But I failed to realize that they grew up computers where everything was done for them. Oh, totally. Have you ever heard? Yeah, have you heard the anecdote uh, where um, Steve Jobs would not let his uh, children use the iPad? Yep. And um he they they asked him why and he was just like, "Look, like I understand how addictive these things are. We designed them to be that way." And they're like, "Well, aren't you worried that your child's not going to be prepared to use this technology?" And he's like, "Look, you got to understand that we make this technology easy enough for your grandma to use." So, there is yeah. Exactly. Now, every time I hear like, "Oh, it's got to be easy enough for my mom, my grandma to use," like it's insulting to me because you're dumbing it down and you're actually robbing people of the knowledge they need to survive. Uh, you're robbing people. Uh, and, and it seems not that way. Like people always think I'm an absolute insane idiot for even trying, you know, for even making an attempt to like educate people and um, show them how things work. It's like, if you get in there and you understand the underlying concepts, if you get in there and you're running your own node If you get in there and you are making your own RSS feed and uploading it 
to a server that you have root access to, just those two things, then you cannot be screwed with. You're in charge of everything. You don't have to trust anybody else to not screw you. And the minute that you say, well, it's got to be easy, you know, just give us your name and your email and your password and, and we'll, care, we'll take care of the rest for you, then you introduce trust and then you have to just be like, you know, down the line when uh, on a long enough timeline, all these people get rugged or scammed or this or that. Like, you just have to say, well, you know, you could have you could have been doing it yourself this whole time. You could have been learning. Yeah, but you grow your own food and you have your own chickens and you raise and teach your own children and you guys breastfeed instead of having formula. You guys are insane idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Yeah, like because sovereignty and taking care of things yourself and having the skills to take care of yourself, it actually makes you insane in this insane world. It's wild, but you know, I I've had a lot of these conversations and my conclusion every time just has to be like, you know, the odds are against us, the numbers are against us, society's against us, everybody's against us in this struggle. I won't call it a fight because it really isn't a fight. It's more of a struggle. Uh, but that doesn't change what the right thing is to do. The right thing to do is to lead by example and to say, yeah, you know, it seems hard. It seems like when I talk about opening a lightning channel, it's just a bunch of on-chain, off-chain cocaine shit stain. But I'm just going to keep talking about it. And if you don't want to hear it, you can, like, listen to something else. But if you just hang around and trust me, like if you just hang around and listen to it enough times, it will start to make sense. And then you get in, maybe you spin a note up, maybe you don't, maybe you just get an Albi wallet and just dip your toes in. It still starts to make a little more sense over time. And it it does. And, and you're not, okay, we live in a country with, I'll just say 300 million. I think it's 333. Ding, ding. I think that's right. But, um... We'll say 300. If only 1% of the people think the same way you do, that's 3 million people. And I suspect it's closer to 30%. So we're looking at 100 million people who actually still care about that sort of stuff. It just feels like uh, we're alone because most people you see, they just want to come home, watch television, eat their McDonald's, and just enjoy their lives. Yeah. And and I don't fault them for it. It's just not for me, and that's that's not my tribe. I'm just trying to find the people who are my tribe. Totally. I think another aspect, too, is you just don't see that echoed around a lot in uh, any kind of media, in commercials, on TV, on the radio. Uh, you can find podcasts for it if you know where to look. Sure. But you're not going to get those at the top of the Google results either. Like, everything that's pushed to the top and promoted is... Exactly what you're saying, you know, eat your cheeseburger, go to sleep, wake up, go to work, go eat your cheeseburger, go to sleep. Like, it's just this cycle that you want to get stuck in. And you're free to do that. It is an easy, comfortable life. There's like a a high score on the happiness and quality of living, uh, you know, metrics, I'm sure. Especially if you add some happy pills in there to kind of supplement anytime you might question your meaningless existence and feel sad feelings over it. That's fine. That's like, if you want to live that way, more power to you. But yeah, on autopilot, it's, it's tough for uh, the other side who wants to take back like individual control and responsibility of their own lives because that's not really portrayed. That message is like shunned. It's weird. And so we don't really get that affirmation. You know, we just kind of have to do it and then get told that we're crazy everywhere we go. But we're also told these things like, 
oh, wow, your kids are so well-behaved. Oh, your kids are so smart. Oh, you know, you're doing this and that right. Like, I don't mind having you people around because you, uh, and it's like, to us, it's just normal. We don't understand. Yeah, we get told the same thing, and um, our kids will go to the dentist or the doctor, and they sit in the waiting room, and they don't need to be entertained, and they've got their books, and they're reading, and everyone's shocked by this, and it's just like, well, one, we live by a philosophy that uh, children are people, so they, they ought to be treated with a certain dignity and respect because they're people. Right. And, and that I also understand that my six-year-old does not have the attention span, so maybe I need to sacrifice my desire to doom scroll on Twitter and actually sit with the child and read with them until they develop the ability to sit and read quietly by themselves. Yeah, definitely. That's another challenge, I guess, that that we meet as parents is, you know, this balance between I don't want to like act like a two-year-old to my two-year-old, but I want to also facilitate the two-year-old's limitations, you know, like. Yes. um, There's a level I have to talk to him and present things to him that I couldn't do. Uh, The same thing I do with the older ones who can like speak English fully now and all that. Yeah. Have you ever read A Brave New World? Yeah. So I think we are more Brave New World than we are 1984. I agree Um, with that. And and there was the whole idea of Soma, and I think that our our media is Soma, but the idea that the the state would take your children, they didn't even have to bear the children anymore. But the state immediately took the children. And I live in San Antonio, and we've got a program called Pre-K for SA. And they start going to school as early as three years old. And it breaks my heart because I'm like, man, like there's a relationship that the child should have with its mother Mm -hmm. that they don't. And then the father should come home and be able to relax and enjoy the the rest of the evening with the children and I don't think our culture values that anymore, but our family motto, and, and you talked about being called crazy and stuff and, and we get called that too. And <laughs> I, it's a mark of honor to me. Totally. I, I t- yeah. I tell them, look, our family's different. And when people say you're different, like you should be proud of that. I agree. Uh, to me, like normal is a borderline slur, you know? And so like when I, when I talk about, oh yeah, just just take control of your own RSS feed just as a starter. Like you're saying, it's like the entry level to coding. Like baby's first coding project is probably in HTML. RSS yeah. and HTML, uh, well, RSS is written in XML. So it's another markup language. It's it's essentially incredibly similar, if not just the same as uh, HTML. So it's it's the very first steps. It's like the stuff they should really be teaching in uh, your primary education as computing, but they don't teach you anything except for how to type a paper up in Word or LibreOffice <laughs> in English yeah. class, maybe, if you're lucky. And, and now they could, they can build games using uh, Scratch. Right. But um, I'm not a big fan of that, these things that... So I, I always tell the kids, you got a choice between a, being a creator or a consumer. They want you to be a consumer because then they get your money. Correct. But yeah. um, I think humans are happiest when they're created. So I think that, and and I've told my son this because he'll um he'll get into playing his Minecraft stuff, and I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, 
you know, you close the screen down and you've leveled up this character, but have you leveled up in real life? I said, versus when you've got your 3D printer and you've actually, even though you're doing something digitally, when you build this thing and print it out and you have something tangible in your hand, like you've actually affected the world in this way in which everyone can see it. And I think for everyone and for men in particular, that ability to look at the world and say, man, I've changed it. it, it there, there's a value that you cannot get from else. So, yeah, I think that to take in the programming and taking so you can create video games is the wrong approach. I'd much rather them take a program and just turn a light on and on where you're affecting the physical world and teach them like, hey, this is this is a magical power and create autonomous things to take care of things for you. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um they just teach you <laughs> in school, even if you get the l- luck out and you're able to be taught some sort of a programming, you're like you said, you're taught to build consumer traps. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're taught to build these little uh, imaginary boxes of time wasting where where, like you said, people, uh, the human condition is that we want to create. We want to accomplish tasks like we like to do work. And that's what you do in a video game. You have achievements, you have goals, you have missions. Uh, and so you're doing that, just not in the real world. You're just doing a fake version of that, but your brain doesn't know the difference. Your brain goes, sure. oh God, I look at me. I'm like level 80. I've killed all these people. I've donned this big armor. I have all these skills now that I've acquired. <laughs> and as soon as you turn the box off, you know, none of that exists. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting thought, because I've been reading some stuff with uh, Camus and uh, Absurdism, which is, he wouldn't say it's nihilism, but um, other philosophers would. But the idea is basically that um, in the end, everything is a box. Our life is a box that gets turned off. And can you tell me any famous actor or actress from the 1820s? Definitely not. Yeah. And these were world famous people. And 200 years later, nobody knows them. I I bet there's less than 20,000 people that are just world famous. Somebody like an Alexander the Great or a Leonardo da Vinci. The fact is most of us, when life ends, unless you believe in an afterlife, like it goes into a box and the box gets put away. So I've been reading that stuff and it's, I've been kind of struggling with it, but there's also this freeing thing where it's just like, okay, if none of it matters, then why don't I just do the thing that makes me enjoy life? And what makes me enjoy life is I could go buy a bookshelf, but I'd rather make the bookshelf because 20 years down the road, when I look at that bookshelf, I have all the memories attached to that. I know every mistake that went into that and it's my bookshelf. It's not an Ikea thing. Like that's mine. To me, there's something very beautiful and valuable about doing stuff with your own hands and taking ownership of it. Couldn't agree more. I love that uh, philosophy. Uh, It's also one of those things I think it's important to point out when you discuss. It's like, it's not a purist perspective. It's not like a zero or 100. People think of this as like a binary thing. Once you start Mm -hmm. to do your own stuff... They're like, oh, well, what are you going to like make your own whiskey and, uh, you know, make your own toilet and all of this different like impossible shit. And it's like, no, you just start with one thing and then you make more and more of your own shit. I think that people take it to such an incredible extreme that that's another thing that keeps them even from getting involved. Like they're like, well, you have to be some kind of a purist. 
And yeah, you and can't I'm, ever so, go to the grocery store again or something. Yeah. Have you ever made your own cheese? Nope. Yeah, I've made my own cheese, and it's a pain in the ass. So it's, It sounds complicated. It is complicated. And, and in the end, it, I don't know that it was worth it. But sure. I know the process, and I was able to do it. But now I have a lot more appreciation when I buy cheese. And um, the same thing goes, I made bacon one time, and um, where you just buy the uh, the pork belly and rub it and everything. Yeah. And I'm going to buy bacon from the store. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah, I think it may, it might give you not only an appreciation, but also maybe more discerning taste, too, when you're going into it. Like, mm. having made cheese, you probably know good cheese from bad cheese a lot more. Yeah, and I make bad cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Cheesy. Yeah, because um, I've done my own, uh, like, my own fruit wines and uh, mead and stuff. And, dude, the process is fun, and it's a great science lesson for the kids and everything. And it makes you feel like a mad scientist and it's an amazing feeling to take something like honey and water and you get meat out of it. And there's this element that you're connecting with almost like you're connecting with your ancestors because this is things humans have done for thousands of years. Yeah. And I don't know, there's something that feeling of like sampling your own finished product. There's nothing like it. Yeah. That's, that's very true. I have made my own beer. Um, which is a similar thing. Like when you're drinking your own beer, there's a level of satisfaction that you could never get, even with a very, very good beer that you paid for. Or if you, you know, I'm sure if you grew your own cannabis, that would be the same sort of thing. Sure. Um, that's always something I've thought about. Uh, we grow garlic in the yard. We don't do much. Garlic, peppers, tomatoes. Uh, and that's the same way. When, you, when you're picking the fruits of your own labor, it could even be mediocre and it's going to be so much better than the very best you could get. At a store. Sure. And that's because you, you know what a pain in the ass it really was mm -hmm. and the bugs you had to fight and the out there and watering. And, and in reality, it's easier to just go spend the 50 cents at the store. But because you weren't involved in the process, it becomes this throwaway product. Whereas when you actually grew it yourself, really appreciate it. So you're able to slow down and savor the moment of chopping that garlic and really experiencing that garlic. So even if it's mediocre, it slowed you down so that you can actually feel and taste what went into it. Yeah, absolutely. Lorian uh, has recently gotten to the kombucha thing from Mousy Bear. She That's right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep, made my own kombucha. I had tried kombucha before out of a bottle from a store or something and just thought, oh, that's disgusting. Mm -hmm. So when Mousy Bear brought it up to me, I was like, I don't want to make that. It tastes like bile. And uh, I went through it, though. She's like, no, it doesn't. It's great. So I went through the process. She sent me a SCOBY, and she was right. It's amazing. Do you like it more uh, tangy, or do you uh, pull that SCOBY with stiller on the sweeter side? Um, I like it more on the sweeter side. Okay. So, yeah, I was... Uh, doing the extra step of adding cranberry juice to it <laughs> to sweeten it up and let it get, like, carbonated. Yeah. And uh, are you doing it with the black tea? Yes, I am. You know, I've done it with uh, fruit punch, and uh, that turns out pretty good. Okay. I'll have to try and, that in the next batch. Yeah, it kind of comes out like a, like a fruity soda because it's got that, uh, that carbonation from it, but it's still got the tang from the uh, turning into the vinegar. So I thought it was kind of interesting that it doesn't just have to be black tea. It can just be anything that's got the sugar in it. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to experiment. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. You've done the mixture of like black tea with fruit juices. Yeah. 
which yep. is pretty nice. I think we did like a cranberry one last time. Yep. And Mousy did a had a has a cranberry pineapple that was really good. We got to try when we visited. Yeah, yeah. I've always I like that stuff. I make my own sauerkraut. The kids hate it, but I think it's <laughs> oh. Yeah. I'm not a yeah, good, it is good big sauerkraut fan either. Yeah. Good and good for you. <laughs> yeah, I was I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was Alton Brown or someone. They were talking about every culture has a fermented food that for them is a delicacy, but for outside cultures is considered repulsive. So um apparently Asians find uh cheese to be repulsive because it's fermented milk basically. Yeah, like rotten Whereas, milk yeah. essentially to them. Whereas we find fermented fish eyes to be disgusting and to them it's a delicacy. Putrefied shark. Yeah. In the the Icelandic cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh I tried that one time. How was it? It was the single most awful thing I've ever eaten yeah. in my life. <laughs> it made my eyes water. It was like this as soon as they pulled it out of the freezer and took the lid off, it was in the next room or something. And I was like, Oh man, did somebody fart? Like it just the whole room started just stenching. Stenching out. Yeah, I bet it reeked. And I just yeah. had this little slice, this little cube of putrefied shark. <laughs> Which oh, that I, sounds gross. It, it was awful, and it made my eyes water. And uh, it, without the uh, incredible peer pressure of my girlfriend at the time's like three bastard uncles, <laughs> like giving me the Izzy a man test, essentially. Uh, without that going on, I would not. I would have refused to have eaten, even tried it. But yeah, <laughs> at least now I can say, yeah, I've had that. It's it's like um, it's awful. But like you're saying, it's kind of one of those more. It's like revered over there, you know. Yeah, I always found that interesting. That uh, and it, it tended to be particular with fermented foods. That makes sense. Yeah, because you're like, oh, that's just rotten, this or that. Yeah, and I guess it kind of is, but um, there's certain ones I really like, man. It's, and, uh, <laughs> it's rotten yeah, with style, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's controlled rot. Yes. <laughs> Stephen, how many children do you have? Uh, we've got three. I've got a 13 year old son. 12-year-old daughter, and then a six-year-old daughter. Nice. We didn't figure out where babies came from till after the uh, third one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So she was uh, she was not planned, as you can tell, by uh, 13 and 12. But, there's like um, a big gap there. Yeah. There yeah. is a big gap. And there's a little part of us that wish that uh, we would have had her sooner. Yeah. Uh, one, because homeschooling's difficult when you've got such a big age gap. And yeah. the uh, the big kids ended up, their homeschool got a little bit disrupted because we had just got out of the baby phase. So uh, we had a seven and six-year-old, and yep. then our youngest daughter was born. And dude, going back into the baby phase. Back to diapers I mean, and all that. Yeah, you guys are there, but you guys have never actually gotten out of it because you're yeah. so right. young enough that you've always been in it. Yep. yep. But uh, imagine getting out of it and then going back to diapers and strollers yeah. and loading up the car and... Dude, that it's great exhausting, now. Yeah. It is exhausting. So she's six now, and they're just now getting into back into the groove of things. So I'm excited about that. But I do wish that uh, she was a little bit older, just for the sake of everybody's sanity, and that she, also that she had a friend and stuff. Yeah, uh, maybe next time around. No, I think we're done with them. <laughs> like, yeah, my wife's uh, my wife's 42 now, so yeah. I think we're about done with that part of our lives next chapters yep um do your kids help with coding and making like curio caster and all your projects 
So my son, I think, is wired to like coding, but um, he does more of the scratch stuff. Okay. And and um, he's on a robotics team now, so they're going to be learning um, Java, I think. Mm. But um, he's the sort who, he doesn't like to mess up. He's kind of a perfectionist. So Uh-oh. because he's very, yeah, and he's very good at scratch and everyone's always praising him for it. Okay. So... He's always been hesitant to learn an, uh, a written uh, language like Java. And I think this is going to be good for him because it's going to force him out of his uh, comfort zone. Gotcha. Sorry about that music. I was looking up Scratch and they have this big video that just oh, plays yeah. on their on their site. No, um, so it's basically a, um, it's a block base. Like you can just drag and drop oh, your blocks. I've seen this. Okay. I know what this is about. Yeah. And it's honestly. It's like a garage band loops sort of, but. For programming. Yeah, and there's been guys who, um, dude, they make some pretty amazing stuff with it. Because instead of having to type your if-then loops, like, you just drag and drop it. Yeah. So, one thing, um, so he's not particularly good at spelling. Um, He's more mechanical and math-minded. Gotcha. So, that's been a difficult thing for him to get into the text-based. But um, I think he's starting to get more and more comfortable with it. So, I'm excited for him. That's cool to, because there's so many things you have to learn with programming. Oh, yeah. And one of them is like type editing. You know, like you Mm -hmm. have to, if you write a big long email and you have several typos regularly in it, that's going to poorly affect your programming if you're just going in and typing up files. Um, That's kind of cool that Scratch allows you to separate that. You just have the programming logic of like, okay, well, what objects do you want to define and then... How do you want them to behave and uh, how do you want them to persist or be interacted with other objects? Um, And you don't have to worry really about syntax or uh, spelling. Yeah, it takes care of some of that, but but it gets you thinking more as a coder does where you've got to understand the just coding logic. And uh, my daughter messes with it a little bit. She's more of the artsy kind, so she would much prefer to... uh, draw and do uh she writes stories and she makes little uh illustrated books for my younger daughter so i think yeah she would probably be good at the design aspect of it but um they haven't really shown interest in like i'm dad anything i do is not that cool totally yeah i know how that goes yeah and um i'm okay with that i've so with my son being 13, one of the things I've had to be okay with is uh, he's got an uncle who's 40, but uh, never been married, single guy, one of those cool uh, guys, has lots of money, always got the nice truck and the new toys. Sure. And um, he's able to teach my son stuff that he wouldn't take from me in the same way because I'm dad. Yeah. And, and, and I've had to be okay with that and say, you know what, like... My role as his father is to be home base. Like I'm a safe place for him to come and be, but there will be other males in his life that feed into him and that I want there to be other people in his life that feed into him. It would be incredibly selfish and just insecure of me to say, hey, I'm the only one who's allowed to teach you stuff. Right, definitely. Or be a role model for you or be your friend, you know. Yeah, and, and he's getting to that age, um, so developmentally, they say about 13 is when they start to look outside of their family and try to determine who it is they are and who they want to be. And that often comes across as teenage rebellion. 
And um, it can if it's not kept in check, but a lot of it is they are about to become adults and mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out what that is. Totally. So my my role is to give him a safe place to explore that. I think that's great because if you stunt that sort of growth and exploration, you're just kind of adding to the clock and also maybe forcing them down paths that you don't necessarily want. Like there can be unintended consequences to doing that. That's just, uh, you know, it stunts their, um, their development. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I've got plenty of role models who aren't my father and that's okay. Like they, they're better and stronger in certain areas than his. Yeah. And, and I want him to, to seek out the experts in the areas he's interested in. Totally. I think that's fair. Uh, about homeschooling, have you done that the whole time? And like, how did you come to that idea? Did you always know you were going to homeschool? So even before we got married, um, I don't know why homeschooling appealed to me. I, I never grew up religious. Um, I was agnostic when I met my wife. So it wasn't like we were trying to shelter the kids or we had to give them a religious upbringing or anything. It just always felt like I didn't want the state to indoctrinate my children. Sure. And so I don't know that homeschooling is necessarily the best option, but it's the best of what we have. Like if I could afford it, we would have the kids at home and we would hire the best tutors for whatever subject they were interested in. Because we can't afford that, um, honestly, like I said, if, if you just listen to podcasts for eight hours a day, you can get a world-class education in humanities and or histories and all of that stuff much better than you're going to get sitting in a classroom being lectured at because you get to, you get to find the teacher who actually appeals to you and is able to teach in your style. And you don't have other people interrupting or, you know, you, I've, I felt like the worst part of the public education system was that you're just constantly drugged down to the lowest common denominator of like, they have to, target the your basic average person you know they have to dumb it down kind of like our discussion earlier like oh well since jimmy is never going to get this material we've got to deliver this material you know yeah and i i think public education is by and large babysitting and and we live in an economy where it's very difficult for a family to make it without both parents working um i so i make very good money and we still have to live in the ghetto and we still have to drive used cars because we decided that my wife staying home to educate the children was important to us. Yeah. But I don't know how somebody could do it making 50K a year. Yeah, that would be pretty tough. It'd be extremely tough. Like you, And, and that's the average. Mm-hmm. So if you make 100K a year, you're in the top 90% of wage earners in the United States. Yeah, that's pretty wild. That is wild. Like it it blows my mind. So yeah, like there's a lot of people who need both parents working and if both parents are working, then you need someone watching the kids. Yep. Yeah. It's it's almost like it's been designed to just (laughs) enslave you and trap you into these like ruts, you know? Yeah. And, and I think they could honestly do most of what they need to learn in half a day. And I would love to see some sort of model where, okay, 
there are some basic things you need to know. You need a basic level of math so that you can take care of some accounting stuff because we have to pay bills. You need a certain level of English and uh, how to write so that you're able to communicate your ideas effectively. Um, I would argue that you may need a certain level of world history and stuff um, just so that you can be an effective citizen. Although if you ask the average person what our three branches of government are, most of them don't know. Most of them don't remember what they learned in their ninth grade social studies class. Oh, um, oak, ash, and maple. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and um, and they don't need it. The reality is, is, is for their day in, day out life, they just need to know what they need to know so that they can make enough money at their job and then go home and eat their cheeseburger and mm -hmm. watch TV. They just need to yeah. know which wide receivers have been injured in the past week so that they can put them on the correct slots in their fantasy football league. Yeah, I've always thought that was interesting how much um, I, I talked to my son about it, how um, interested we are in watching grown men put an orange ball into a red hoop. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting, though. Yeah, it is interesting. But we've also got so I call them sports nerds. And then you got uh, you got D&D &D nerds who could tell you all the stats about their character. And yeah. I, I don't know why one's considered a cool guy thing and the other's considered a nerd thing. I think they're all nerdy and that we all have our nerdy thing that we're interested in. Definitely. And like, you know? Yep. And, uh, and if you're not... Except for Metis, he's a cool guy. <laughs> well, you know, there's always exceptions. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's, all, it's all nerd and niche stuff. And outside of that world, it just kind of looks the same of like, what is all this? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, so we homeschool because I... I want my kids primarily to have the free time to pursue what they're interested in. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah I that, love that. It's kind of the trap with everything in our modern society, right? It's like the career trap, the school situation, like who's watching the kids. It's all, it all seems designed to be the time sink, right? And that's, that's kind of the one thing that you can't compensate in other ways for is time. Like the time is finite. And there's no way to cheat that. There's no way to be born with a silver spoon of time where you have extra time. Like that's the one uh, thing that we're all subject to. Yeah, and you know, the, the thing that's very bizarre to me is, so my wife was asking me, the, uh, hey, if you won the lottery, like, and you could have, like get a butler or a maid or whatever, what would you get? And I was like, you know, I would get a chauffeur because I don't like driving myself. I'd much rather someone drive me around and then mm. I can or do whatever I want while someone else is uh, driving me around. And the reality is, is self-driving cars will be chauffeurs for everyone. Yeah. But I asked her and she said, well, I'd have, a, uh, I'd have a personal chef. I was like, you know what? You actually already have a personal chef. You don't have to make dinner any night you don't want to. And all you have to do, and even now with DoorDash, you just have to get on an app, decide what you want, and it's delivered to your house without you having to do anything. Yeah, that's pretty wild. It is wild, and that's open up to everybody. So we have all these labor-saving devices. We don't have to wash our dishes anymore. There's a machine that does it. Um, laundry, you got machines that do it. I know average people who are paying for maids and everything. So we've got all these devices that save us time, and yet somehow we have less time than ever. It's like we spend the extra of it just like, looking at a screen of some sort. <laughs> yeah. I bet that's a big chunk of it because when I grew up as a kid, um, so I was born in 81 and Nintendo came out in 85 and like not everyone had a Nintendo. And I remember all the adults after work 
would hang out on the front porch and smoke cigarettes and drink wine coolers. And the kids ran around the neighborhood playing tag. And it seems like sometime during the late 90s, like everyone just kind of moved indoors. Yeah. And um, there's something about that that makes me very sad because I think that we are communal beings and that we we try to fill it with the social media because we're trying to fill in that hole. But the reality is, is we would probably be more satisfied if we just hung out with our next door neighbor. And most of us probably don't even know their name. Yeah, that's very true. In most instances, I think that's that's correct. Yeah, but the the screens make everything just easier. I don't think it's more satisfying. It's just, it's easier. It's easier and there's like, I don't know, there's this sense of FOMO, right? The fear of missing out that, that only a screen, I guess, could properly um satiate that hunger right now it's like there the the thousands of things that i might want to keep tabs on in any given day whether it's the markets or the sports balls or the tv shows or the the politics what's happening politically all of these things i can look up and have a different tab open for each one and flick through and then i can also keep uh an eye on the chat while it's going on and an eye on this and that so it's like we have so much access that we haven't had before. Like it used to be in the, in the before times, <laughs> like you, yeah. you'd have to wait to hear about stuff, you know, now you don't have to wait to hear about stuff. Like you can go seek that out and somebody's probably live typing it, if not live streaming it. Yeah. And I've got a buddy who, uh, he's just like, man, I wish I was Amish. Cause like they've got it easier. And I said, you know what, dude, like the reality is, is there's nothing stopping you from living that way. Like, yep. We live in the greatest time to be alive. And uh, I tell my kids this all the time. I'm just like, you guys don't realize how good you have it. It's so good in America that our poor people are overweight. We've never had it in our <laughs> life where having too much food was the uh, issue. Humans have always lived with this starvation. And we've got it so good that we pee in drinking water. That's how amazing it is in America. <laughs> yeah. And even even poor people have a car. Even our poor people are in the top 1% in the world. I can go and get ice anytime I want. I live better than Kings did 200 years ago. That's so wild. So I tell my buddy, I'm just like, you know, like this is the greatest time to be alive. And you could live Amish if you wanted to. You could go outside and flip your breaker and live that way, or you could choose to not have the internet or choose to not watch television. Everything that you have in your life is because you're choosing to allow that into your life. So you could easily simplify, but I don't know if it's that easy. Um, it's easy for me to not take heroin because I've never done heroin. Sure. Yeah. But the first time you do it, it so fundamentally changes your brain that after that, I don't know if you have a choice anymore. Yeah, I, I like to think you always have a choice, you know, um, but that choice might become vi much more difficult to keep making. Yeah, it does become extremely more difficult, which is why it's easier to choose not to do it in the first place yes. than to have to choose to not do it after I've experienced it. Yeah, it's much easier to not start than to stop. Yeah, and what do you do when you have children who, from the age of six months, like they didn't even have a choice? They were right. just yep. given this stuff that is designed to release dopamine. Yeah, it's it's wild. Yeah, it is wild. No phones for the kids. Yeah, that's that's for sure. If they figure I, out how to build it themselves out of the minerals in the backyard, maybe we can let yeah. that fly. But 
<laughs> We've decided even for the uh, for the older kids as they become teenagers and are out of the house, um, flip phones. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that way I can at least get a hold of them. I like that. But yeah, because um, I don't need them on the internet. I know what's on the internet. Oh God, yeah, the internet ruined me pretty early. Yeah, me too. Same. And and I can try to put all the blocks and everything. Look, my son's smart enough to get around yeah. that stuff. Yep, I know I was. Yeah, it's. It's uh so I was on a submarine and we had uh we had escape hatches and they always told us hey those escape hatches they're so your mom feels comfortable like if this thing goes down you're not escaping yeah so I think any of that uh that software it's just to make people feel comfortable but yeah. it doesn't accomplish anything they feel like all right I've done my due diligence yeah when your due diligence really is like don't give them access to the internet that would be the due diligence yeah and and during that time develop the character in them where they when they get around that stuff they can decide you know what do i want this in my life or not yeah absolutely uh speaking of things in our life we've been hearing these bowling pin sound effects the whole time we've been talking those are sounds of oh yeah boostograms hitting the node in real time uh, and I want to just read some of these and, and thank some people um, as they're coming in. The first one to hit us was 3333 from uh, Tunta. Thank you, Tunta. And he said, thank you for the Ellen beatings, Stephen B. You're welcome. So he likes those. Keep, yeah. keep them coming. Mary-Kate Ultra on Homegrown Hits called it Ellen Beast. Ooh, there you go. Nice. The Ellen yeah. Beast. I did buy, by the way, Ellen Beats. I know. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and oh, yeah. switched it over to you because people are like, Ellen Beats or Ellen Beats or how's that go? Now it doesn't matter what you hear. They both yeah. go to the same spot. So yeah, I appreciate that. E-L-L-E-N Beats.com. You can do that too. Uh, let's see. Who is next? Oh, yes. Uh, 2112, little rush boost there from Airhead. Uh, by the way, Tunta came out of Fountain. This one's coming out of uh, CurioCaster. And uh, Airhead says, finishing full support. For magic wall magic wallet switching technology in the pure tube lightning plug-in this weekend, letting the split kit do all the heavy lifting for the GUI has been a godsend. Thank you for your code. No problem, man. I'm glad to see someone using it and making sense of it. It's the split kit stuff is really cool because uh I think that what I needed was more people like using it that I could watch how they do it, and then I can kind of start to adopt that to my routine. Um and both Booberry and Cotton Gin specifically have been adopting the split kit stuff in a way that I can watch what they've done and kind of integrate it. Um, so Booberry has been doing like live chapters and, and, and mm -hmm. wallet switching technology for the longest, as far as I'm aware. Um, Lorian picked it up because she started doing her uh, homegrown hits live music yeah. podcast. And I started with chapters and yes, we rolled chapters out from that, which is great. Uh, it's really I think up to the value of the show because people can just pick and choose from like the long and windy road that is our show. They can choose like the relevant parts to them. Um, and we can be more respectful of their time really essentially is what happens. Sure. Um, I wanted to say cotton gin has this cool chat split kit relay thing that's been going on and I have zero idea how any of this works. So maybe after we catch up with some boosts, that can be the next thing we talk about because this is sort of the, edge of the horizon with the scissors right now and you guys are using uh, tags that aren't even officialized yet as part of it that's high roll man i love it uh i think that uh, i remember that chat attribute was something else like that where um in a was it a live item or a live items enclosure 
Yeah, and I like chat uh, link to an IRC. Yeah, yeah, the little chat link. So yeah, I mean, running with scissors, man. Uh, we we all look to you as like the lead scissor man. Yeah, I'm like I'm like specs be damned. I'm gonna do it my own way. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need specs. That's right. <laughs> Uh, 6,900 sats from Sir Seat Sitter, who also came out of Curiocaster. He said, okay, but why haven't you made your own beer? Uh, I have twice. Lorian, why, um, why haven't you made your own beer? Oh, uh, that's a good question. What about you, Steven? Um, I just, it was easier making wine and I didn't want to buy the, uh, the extra stuff. Okay. I think that's yeah. a very fair <laughs> answer. Wine What's is up? easier. That is the reason. Man, there's a book that you might be interested in if you've made your own beer. I think it's called, uh, Sacred Healing Beers. Whoa. And, um, yeah. So he goes into a lot of the history of like hops was not originally part of beer and how different herbs instill different uh, properties into the beer. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And um, one of the things was uh, they used to use uh, yarrow and yarrow was um, yarrow is a flower and they used to use it to stop bleeding. But yeah. I guess it has a mild aphrodisiac effect to it. Uh, and uh, it's I'm, a stimulant, whereas hops is a depressant. Interesting. Yeah, Yarrow. I The first time Yarrow came on my radar was in Red Dead. Red Dead Redemption 2. Speaking oh, yeah, of yeah. wasting your times in video games, uh, it's like a really common flower to pick in the game and make like healing items out of. Okay, so that game is on my... It's on my queue, and I have not downloaded it yet because... I know it will suck me in and yeah. I've just got other stuff I need to do. Yep. It will suck you in, but, uh, in a good way, actually it's kind of messed up. It's, it might even be a testament to how broken society is, but like playing red dead two was what really started my whole spiritual longing for a connection with a reconnection for the earth and herbs and animals. And, um, you know, if I hadn't played Red Dead Redemption 2, I wouldn't have thought about getting chickens. I wouldn't have thought about actually growing a backyard garden again. Like, that was what really first planted the seeds because it's just like, it's this big immersive world game. And really, all you want to do is go around and, uh, you know, make healing uh, herbal remedies and, and fish and, like, just be in nature, you know? Uh, like, I thought I don't most even... guys just went to hang out at the prostitute house. <laughs> Yeah, well, that gets old really fast, yeah. it turns out. <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds weird, but that's kind of the same old song and dance. You know, um, I don't think that's that's weird. So there are certain movies that they, they fundamentally change who you are. And I see certain video games, especially something like a Red Dead, as it is a playable storyline. And um, it's a testament to the creators that they were able to create this story that my coworker's the one who told me I got to play the game. He says, I got so attached to Arthur that I almost cried at the end of the game. Oh, almost, almost. my ass. Yeah. <laughs> I was in shambles, man. I, were you? There's a, several yeah. times in that game where I'm just like overwhelmed with emotion yeah absolutely even just thinking about it right now i've got to hold back like if you're yeah. thinking about the experiences you had that's when you almost occur okay but actually when you when when all of that stuff when you experience that for the first time man and you're not crying i think you're aware probably yeah well i'm gonna have to play it at some point i also need another hard drive because it's like 200 gigs to download it's a big one yeah yeah it is it's hey, my favorite a, one though out of all the video games i've ever played i always cite that one as the favorite one i've ever played Okay, I'm going to have to check it out because um, 
I, I just got done playing Fallout 4 and I loved it. And yep. he was just like, dude, you're going to love uh, Red Dead. That one's in my top three for sure. So yeah, yeah, Red Dead is great. Did you know in Red Dead, like they went into so much detail that um, the horse's balls get smaller when you go into a cold area? Oh my God. No, I did not know that. I knew <laughs> a lot of crazy, different weird man? stuff like, like the tree animations and everything. People like... It's incredible what they rendered and what they put together in that game. Yeah, and, and that level of detail, like for something that nobody would notice, like right. That's I don't know, like that. That's a craft, and I think storytelling. So I've told my daughter, who's very creative, I said, "Look, um, I think the age of the engineer is over. That uh, the engineers have done their job, and they've created so much stuff that ChatGPT has changed all of my coding." Right. It, it, it's a game changer. It makes me faster. So I don't think junior developer is going to be a job uh, for much longer. Oh, man. But what's going to, what's, what's important is who gives meaning to our lives. And that's the storytellers. So I think we're entering an age where the people who are able to tell stories and give people a purpose are going to be the ones that are valuable. I think that there's definitely something to that. Um, Let's see. We got some other boosts to catch up on, and I keep hearing some come in. It's like an infinite uh, treadmill we're running here yeah. <laughs> as we catch up with more boosts, more come in, which is fine. That's a great problem to have. Uh, coming in from Fountain is Billy Bones with 3438 sats, and he says, uh, Viva la Revolution. Actually, he says, Viva la Revolution. Thank you, Billy Bones. But I revolutioned it, I guess, because of my, my uh, previous Spanish bias. Yeah. <laughs> Dios mio, man. Uh, 420 sats from Eastside Tony. This one's coming out of Podverse. And he says, my soul needed this show with y'all today. Keep up the good work, folks. Defend the network. We are uh, defending it every day. Yeah, and Eastside Tony's doing some pretty cool stuff with the split kit and uh, music videos. Yeah, he's out there. I I love his different use cases. Uh, when we sat down to do Ablecraft, uh, Abel Kirby and I, we were kind of thinking, he asked me, I think in the first episode, what I thought that music on RSS would eventually look like and what most people would do. And I said, I said, you know, I think that starting out just trying to map the traditional system onto this new system, we're going to try to make like the most common use case, which is just to put one feed out that represents an album and all the items on them are tracks on the album. I said, but I'll tell you right now that any possible way to do it will be done eventually because you can. And so, mm -hmm. you know, like, people are going to get in there and try a bunch of different ways. And I think that's a good thing. Like then not only can we have a little experimental laboratory and try to find out what works better than other ways, but uh, also there's a bunch of unique use cases that we're not even going to imagine. I think uh, Sir TJ, the raffle is a good example of that right now. Cause he's got his show uh, into the Dorful verse where they're doing a podcast together and then they're releasing a new track. And so it's like every other item on the feed is either their show or a new track that they released. Uh, and they're kind of going back and forth between that, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's super cool. Because um, back to the storytelling thing, how much more do you engage with a song when you know the backstory of it? Or you know like what the lyrics meant or what the person was going through in their life when they wrote it? Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Uh, uh, yeah, I, th I think that's super cool. I'm getting a note to scroll back. Oh, to yes, there is a pre-boost. Oh, yep. Bingo. Thank you for that note in the chat. Uh, 5550 sat, uh, 5555 sats from Make Heroism, who was actually able to boost this live episode from Fountain because it was pending, 
which I think is another version of the technology that doesn't get talked about enough, but like a pending live item where you can go into the show in a podcast app and say, oh, this is going to be live in a few days. I can boost it now with a question or with some kind of an interaction with it. And it's ready to go. You were the first and for the longest time, the only app that even allowed you to do that. Mm -hmm. I think it's like very useful. Uh, Thank you for letting me know, chat. Uh, Make heroism out of fountain. 5555 sats. He says, hello, Steven. Thank you for Ellen Beats and MSP, music side project. Uh, I used MSP with great success to put my own music up. I was wondering if you would be so kind as to create a tab in Ellen Beats for all the self-hosted music. I'm currently using a trick you taught me to look at the other feeds. I'm trying to onboard some friends of mine, and I honestly think it would be easier to show my grandma how to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the way Ellen Beats works is um, the featured tab is anybody who has Music Side Project or my Steven at Get Albi address um, in it. So basically, if I'm in your value block, then you're in the future tab. Gotcha. And then um, on the discovery tab, um, all of the self-hosted stuff gets put in the list first, and then the Wave Lake stuff gets added. So your first hundred items in the discovery are going to be all of the self-hosted stuff. Um, They're just, I randomize it. Every time you go in, it's going to be a different order. Gotcha. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. I I kind of like that as far as um trying to surface that at the top because I think that everything else has plenty of exposure right now, you know. Mhm. So, yeah, that's that's a good way to do it. They were talking in the latest uh podcasting 2.0 about how to um how to make the top 100 a little bit less competitive with the apps or a little bit more agnostic as to like, hey, go listen to this in a podcast app. We don't really care which one. And I thought that maybe the solution to that would be podcastindex.org, the front public-facing website, should be more of like a wiki situation, where it's just a wiki for all the feeds, and it might tell you, you know, the names of the artists and maybe uh, cross-referencing a bunch of things like the pod roll of other people you put in there or, uh, you know, related musicians, maybe like they were talking about linking to music podcasts that have played that certain track everything that cites that track as a, as a remote item. Um, but I also thought that maybe the call to action button would be some kind of a sidebar situation that you could say, listen in X, Y, Z, A, B app. And the order of that app is just randomized every time. So, you know, you could say, Oh, go listen to this in Ellen beats or in Podverse or in, you know, whatever you have. Yeah. And, and, um, I mean, that would, that seems easy enough, and and I say easy enough for someone else to do. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's always the the crux of it, right? It's yeah, <laughs> it's like easy to sit there and say, eh, they, they, this is how you solve that problem," uh, and it's it's very easy to say. Yeah, being the ideas guys is uh, that's easy. Being the guy who puts it together, that's a little bit harder. Yeah, because then you know you get the message like, "Uh, this is broken and it doesn't work." When I try to do this, and you're like, oh, "Yeah, and- yeah, I guess it is, huh?" But, um, yeah, I mean, it should be easy enough that something, uh, comes into the side, um, like a, uh, like a drawer type of feature. Yeah. And yeah, the randomize. Cause I know when you go to uh newpodcastapps.com, uh, the way it works is you can do all the filters, um, yep. but it, uh, it sorts it by the number of features you have implemented. Uh. So the more features you have 
the higher up you are on the list. I think that's a great weighting mechanism because it and, incentivizes uh, you to you know imp- implement for more features. It does, and and I think that those guys who are pushing the 2.0 envelope should get more. Uh, I guess just uh, be weighted better because a guy who's just doing uh, funding should right. not get as much as somebody like Mitch is doing. Mitch should be right up there at the top. I agree. Yeah. Or like, oh, we have chat. We have transcripts. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm like, oh well, that's a start. That's a start. Uh, let's see. Oh. Hey, Citizens Next, he boosted 269.69 out of Padverse. Uh, Thanks, let's hey, see, Citizen. I can give you a little, a little double 69, hit. 69, dudes! And uh, he says, lit as fuck. Short and sweet. Well, thank you, sir. That's uh, right. 66.66 came in from Pfeiffer. Thanks, Pfeiffer. And boosting, let's see, oh, from Podcast Index. Oh, uh, yes, because I have the old... Uh, I bumped my Raspy uh, Blitz version up on uh, over the weekend on friday night and so i have the older i'm back to the older version of uh helipad and also Boostbot is is mia i couldn't get him to turn on yet so i have some work still yet to do on my node uh, but one of the things i lost is that podcast index logo it's back to the old uh. wild card image anyway pfeiffer he says good talk in the bowl Stephen b pfeiffer's uh He's always one of the uh, top donators, man. Yeah, he's in there getting the boosts in for sure. He's taking to yeah. this thing. Uh, Him and uh, Pitar, I always notice. Like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, those guys are uh, they're unsung heroes, man. Slamming and jamming. Yeah. Uh, another guy we mentioned actually before to, uh, with twenty five thousand seven hundred fifty two sats out of CurioCaster. Uh, it's Sir TJ the Wrathful. Oh, nice. Yeah, thanks, TJ. In parens, he says Fiat seven bucks. Uh, for now, I, I love the way y'all are raising your families, he says. It's beautiful. Raising the next generation of real critical thinkers. We are with you. Thank you for creating these amazing tools and helping us learn. I'm teaching how to self-host with my 13-year-old son. J-Dog has learned how to do all the work himself to get his music up. Thanks to Steven and Spencer helping me. Looking oh, nice. F- looking forward to learning Split Kid, he says. Yeah, that's exciting. I didn't realize uh, J-Dog was only 13. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. And he's put, like, I love that you're making him do all that stuff himself. You know, like, that's, I think, so crucial. Uh, it's the give a man a fish versus teach a man to fish thing, but I think it's it's that exponentially. It's that on another level. It's even more crucial that if you just, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't give out fish. That's that's not even That's not even it. But I'm saying, like, there is something... So much more crucial to saying, like, you know what? I'm going to make you do this part of it. Especially, like, you know, if it's your own kid. You're going to say, I'm going to make you do these parts of it because I want you to have a certain understanding about the thing. And um, I think that's how we solve it. Just, like, one person at a time where we're saying, like, no, you know, you can run your own node. No, you can publish your own RSS feed. Like, you learned the guitar, to play this song, you wrote this song, you came up with a good song, you recorded the whole thing. This is just one extra step, which in and of itself is already easier than all of the stuff you've already done to get. That's why I think the musicians are going to be the ones that really get on board it because they already set up their own stuff and screen print their own t-shirts and make their own CDs and they set up their own merch booth, take down and put up their own equipment. Most of these guys are DIY musicians, so they're used to doing everything themselves. Yeah. 
Setting up your own feed's easy. Easy peasy, man. Peasy. I'm working on some uh, videos to kind of supplement the feeds that I've published, but um, I put out like a sample RSS feed and then a second version of it that literally just has inline comments of every single tag explained, further reading that's linked to them. So that's kind of, I don't know, like this is how I teach other other people how to code in other languages. Like I don't teach anybody RSS at my day job, you know, but I do take like truckers and factory workers and army vets and, you know, people who have little to zero true coding experience and, you know, just a few months and make them full stack web developers who have made full stack web projects, full stack web apps. So I know firsthand that it doesn't take a bunch of prior technical knowledge in order to learn a bunch of stuff like like deep technical stuff stuff that you would stuff that if i explained to you or just said to you what it was you wouldn't know what the hell i said but then you know it just takes a little bit of exposure and immersion and all of a sudden you're like oh yeah okay i get that yeah and somebody like a mechanic who already thinks in systems and how does one thing affect another thing um that's really the the coding part's the easy part it's how do all these systems work together, and if you change this, what does it do to the whole system? And I think somebody who's mechanically minded has some unique insight that would make them a valuable programmer. Yeah, I agree. Totally. It's just like a certain way of thinking that's easily mapped onto uh, programming. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. Our next boost also came from the podcast index from Pfeiffer. It's 1821 sats, which is code for a Missouri smash. Jesus. And he says, Stephen B, not playing video games, so we can play video games and listen to podcasts. Thank you for your courage. <laughs> uh, doing the work. Speaking of doing the work, Booberry is up next out of Boost CLI. He sent in 17,776 sets. I need a freedom boost drop. Yeah, we do. Thank you, Booberry. Um, he says, go split kit. Yeah, he took that thing and ran, man. I wouldn't even know that it's out there or what it does if, if it wasn't for Booberry. Yeah, and uh, I'll give him the credit. He was the uh, he was the first uh, live music uh, variety show. It's true. Yeah, he was out there, and and you you would be able to personally verify that because you're the only one that has a tool to do it. <laughs> so. Yeah, and so he was messing with that stuff um, before Booster Grand Ball came out for sure. We are the first. It's not about the credit. It's about, I'm spitting this information out at you fast because there's a lot of it, and it's life-saving. Yeah. So Boobery's out there saving your life. Yep. And, and uh, it, it is about being first and the credit. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. You heard it from Stephen B. Directly from the source. <laughs> it is about being first to the credit. I love you, man. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, that takes us back to the present, except, oh, we just got a boost that slapped. Uh, 22,222, that's five ducks in a row out of CurioCaster. Uh, and this is from Sir Baron of Rot Rotterdam, Oyston Bears. Oh, thank you, Sir Baron of Rotterdam. There's uh, also a boost that came into my node and uh -oh. did not come into yours. Did it miss my, it missed me. Sometimes that happens. So I'll share it now. Well, let me finish oh, reading sorry, his. sorry. He says, uh, thank you for giving us the tools to take over the music world, Stephen. Well, I, I hope we do, man. Or, or at least uh, 30% of it. Right. Just enough of it to uh, sidestep all of the grossness and be able to just live in our own little 
universe that's comfy. That's all I want, man. Like, I just want to live in my own comfortable universe. Yep. I think it's already here, man. It's just getting bigger and, f- and more fun as we go along, but it's here. It is undeniably happening right now. It is, man. And then, um, dude, so Mike Newman's It's a Mood. Yeah. Dude, he's so chill. I There's something about his vibe and all of that. I just love that show, and I would have never thought I would enjoy something like that. And it's so cool, and you could tell he's having a blast with it. Oh, without a doubt. And uh, you got um, uh, Sir Libre's doing his uh, his metal uh, hour, uh, Lightning Thrashes, and I love the dude. I, uh, that is such a cool title. Yeah, Lightning Thrashes is a great one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, it's it's fun to see other people having fun with it. Uh, and Sir Baron, Sir Baron, uh, Baron of Rotterdam. I'm trying to now. This damn show is slipping my brain. S- something I, in Mead, right? Yes, you're right. It is something. And now we need to... Give me in the chat. Give me in the chat. Now I look stupid. See, this is what happens when you start listing. Um, but I was going to say, I, I tried to cover my ass in the background by pulling up your radio tab in Ellen Beats. And I don't see it in the radio tab. So maybe uh, we'll figure that out too. Mutton, it, meat, It's and not music. there. Mutton, and, meat, um, and music. Yeah, I, it just came across my radar this morning. And any of that stuff, I end up hard coding. That's what I figured, yeah. Because I... It's it's funny, I didn't even realize there was a radio tab because you just throw the scissors out there, you know, as you go. Uh, and then Adam Curry mentioned that you could find homegrown hits on the radio tab on Ellen Beats. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's cool, you can? And I looked it up and it wasn't there. And I was like, oh, shit. L- let's let's uh, hit Stephen B up and make sure that <laughs> we can make that true <laughs> in retro, uh, retroactively make that true. Yeah, and it's, it's not a problem. It's just... Um... I don't have anything automatic, so yeah, it's, it's tough right now. They're trying to solve it because they don't. They need to come up with a medium that represents what these things are because it's just brand new. Like nobody's doing this shit yet. Yep. Until yep. And, now, uh, like Adam, you know, he's he's this awesome guy who just comes along and says, "All right, I'm going to make a radically new way to do something. Here's how you do it." And then everybody sees it and they're like, "Oh yeah, I can do that too." And then everybody's doing it, and that's what's so cool. Like. That's why I appreciate his role a lot because yeah, I do too. And because uh, I was thinking about that, and like, why is Noster so popular? Well, they've got Jack Dorsey out there saying, "Hey, I really I, I'm behind this thing." Yeah, but podcasting 2.0 has Adam as our celebrity who, and and I don't think it would be where it is without that because if he yeah. hadn't produced, if he hadn't uh, talked about it on No Agenda, I wouldn't be involved with it. Yep. And how many other people are involved because they heard about it through Adam? Yeah, I I, I would say most people. I would say too. And um, that having a spokesperson is extremely valuable. Yep. Yeah, you got to have your kind of like cheerleader uh, representative, like El Presidente, man, uh, for lack of a better a better term. Yeah, and um, I, and I also appreciate that uh, he acknowledges that um, it is just this group of people that are doing it. It's not his project. Yep. And that kind of rubs me the wrong way when I see uh, on Twitter, like Adam Curry's uh, podcasting 2.0 project, because Adam would be the first one to say like, this isn't mine. Yeah. He's just part of it. Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at the contributors list that uh, they tried desperately to maintain over on the, on the uh, GitHub, it's like hundreds, if not a few thousand people. And it hasn't been updated for a while because there's just new people all the time. Like how could you keep track of all the people that contribute to podcasting 2.0? It's impossible. 
Yeah, and what do you do when somebody who is just when they go to a a Bitcoin meetup, they just talk about it? Well, dude, that evangelism is just as important as the guy who is doing some coding. Totally. Oh, it's crucial. It's like it's hilarious because I started going to Bitcoin meetups uh, after uh, C Dubs mentioned going to one in in California in our chat, and so I was like, "Oh yeah, Bitcoin meetups. I wonder if there's one around me." And I went and. Hardly anybody had like heard of this podcasting 2.0 thing or it wasn't on any radars, you know? And so it's still very unknown in the, in the Bitcoin sphere, which is kind of hilarious because it does represent like a majority of the lightning network traffic. Yeah. That's uh, I always feel like we're kind of like the redheaded stepchild of the lightning world. <laughs> Definitely. Like, like, but the reality is, is like we have the first practical use and the second practical use, because it started with podcasting and now it's with music. Right. So we've demonstrated two ways that this can benefit anybody who wants to be involved in it. And it's the also, I want to say, it's like the one use case where you actually have programmable money, programmatic money, which is one of the big promises. Mm-hmm. So it delivers on one of the big promises, programmatic money. Um, but it does so in a way that is... Just pure, voluntary, consensual value for value. It's not degenerate day trading, and it's not gambling. And all of the programmable money stuff that came before or since, or like as far as I can see, and maybe there's maybe there's other stuff that I'm not aware of that's sort of like us in a weird little corner. But as far as I can see, there's there's the podcasting slash music value for value stuff, and then there's trading tools and gambling tools. Which, you know, kind of blend into each other, too. There's a little bit, there's not exactly a fine line between a blurry line. Yeah, and I, so I never understood why uh, it just wasn't embraced the same way. Like, when I heard about it, it was just like, oh, man, this is the future. Like, yep, programmable money is the thing that people working on the web have wanted from the beginning. And now we have it, and... um, Everyone's excited that instead of a thumbs up, you can give a hundred sats and call it a zap. Right. I know. It's funny. Like they changed the name. Yeah. Although, you know what? Because it's lightning, I thought, man, zap's a good name. It is a good name. Like you should be able to do all of that stuff. Like interop is important. You know, you should be able to do a uh, QR code that people are able to scan with a wallet that can do a, uh, uh, what are those, like an LNURL type thing. I think that once we have our stuff really polished x years down the road like the apps will be able to do all of that whatever you want all the implementations yeah and uh like i have to keep reminding myself and everyone else dude this is still uh we're still in the very early adopter phase totally yeah we're like literally creating it as we go day by day and and you more than any one of us really are building out how this thing's work thing works uh which i want to talk about as soon as we catch up with this boost you mentioned yes. yeah we had 50,000 sats Ooh. come in on Whoa. Fountain from Mary-Kate Ultra. Thank you, darling. Who says, my life has greatly improved since I started using your creations, Stephen. Thank you for helping myself and others cherish what liberty is left in this brave new world. Well, oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to hear it. What a sweetie. Yeah, that's killer. Yeah, um, that is. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the cutting edge and... um kind of what you're helping build out and where you see these things going. And then I kind of also want to roll into how listeners can help 
in different ways, whether it's coding or not, you know, cause there's a lot of different roles to be filled. And like you said, we're wicked early. Like there's a place for everybody at the table. Uh, so you, I think have had a tremendous influence on how these things work just by giving people who aren't coders, the tools to use what the podcast index does. Um, and I think that started off with the live implementation and going live. And, uh, uh, speaking of the we are the first stuff that goes back to when we had Dave Jones uh, about a year and a half ago we had a bulls with buds with Dave Jones in this same time slot and uh, we went live on the live item yeah I remember that and you were in the kind of the background helping us make sure that worked and it worked in Curiocaster and the chat attribute was some kind of a unofficial not supported thing that you just were like hey we can get the troll room into the view if you just add a chat attribute to the live item and put a kiwi link in it uh so i i'm just curious uh what other kind of hacks have become official because as far as i'm aware now chat is is defined in the spec right um i don't know if it's officially there or not i think it is i think it was there in uh phase six because I, I ended up having to change it from how I originally implemented So I don't know or if um, if it's just in the docs and uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> you just don't even bother with the with the docs. You're just, you're just making stuff that works on your side. Well, once it's official, I'll uh, do it because I do want it to play with all the other apps. Sure. But until it's official, then I feel quite a bit of freedom to just, um, I guess, do whatever I want. So... <laughs> I kind of view CurioCaster. I don't think it's ever going to be the the most popular app. Um, sure. So I see it more as just I use it so I can demonstrate to other people what's possible, and um, that way that the more popular apps um, that are going to be focusing on the apps. The, the reality is, is the podcast app isn't as exciting to me as the music stuff is. Oh, yeah, I think most of us, or well, I won't say most, but I think a lot of us would agree with that, including Adam, who yeah. said that explicitly on the last Podcasting 2.0. So Caracaster's definitely taken a back burner, um, but I can still use it for demonstrating, hey, this this can be done. And, uh, dude, there's probably, a, it's probably a dozen people. It's not many, but uh, they tell me I, this is my favorite app. I love it, and... Um, I'm just like, I haven't used it in a while. Yeah. Um, so when I go back, I'm like, man, you like this? It's very clunky. Like, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff I would change about it. Sure. Well, and that's the beauty, too, of web apps. There's plenty of time to change it and make it better. And there's no such thing as done. Like, I've never had a web app that was done. I had a web app that was, like, good enough to push to production. And then it, you keep working on that. But I, I still have yet to, like, arrive at something that's totally done, perfect, and can't be improved. Yeah, and that's kind of what I like about it, because um, I know that there's probably there's probably rules and stuff you should follow if like you're doing a legit app. But I can push something just because I wanted to try it, and if it breaks everything, you know what? Uh, Twenty people are inconvenienced, and I can fix it, and uh, it's not going to break my business model. Yeah, definitely. In fact, so, it just enhances it because you fix something directly for people, and they go, "Oh, damn! Like, here's a booster." Uh, you know, here's that was value for me. Like, yeah. So, Cot- no, uh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Cotton Gin is uh like our Jamie in the chat right now. He's pulling shit up. Like, oh pulling yeah, that shit good. up, Jamie. Um, uh, he's saying there's three hundred some odd, three hundred fifty three contributors on the list that I mentioned earlier. So, oh nice. 
hundreds, not quite thousands yet. But uh, he also said that set the chat attribute is still in the proposal stage. And yeah, indeed, I pulled up the live item and uh, the status, the start, and the end are the three attributes that are officially supported. Okay, so we're still and, uh, on the edge, running with scissors with that chat attribute. Yeah, and I've got it. I changed it to match this where we got the podcast chat tag. Ah, uh, yeah. Because I think... Uh, I think Podverse and me with Curiocaster are the only ones doing it. I think that's right, yeah. Um, I, I suspect Podfans. I think Podfans, once it uh, comes out, it's going to be the app to beat. Yeah, that seems like uh, something I'm keeping my eye on. I, I won't pretend like I fully understand it already, but I have played around a couple times. Yeah, and it looks pretty. Like There's something to be said about just the aesthetics of an app. For sure. Yeah, I think that that can sometimes overshadow functionality even in the modern web uh, environment. Yeah, um, I've I've had people ask like uh why don't I why, why do I have a different app with Ellen Beats and Curiocaster and um maybe I should combine Music Side Project with Ellen Beats and um there's an element that I like the separation of concerns because totally. it becomes easier to manage and something like MSP I wanted to make it as simple as possible so that your your normies aren't overwhelmed because yeah. when you open up sovereign feeds dude you you get everything there's a lot there's a ton and it's overwhelming and i don't there's no documentation and there's no walking you through it so I, you got to be the type of person who's willing to click buttons to just kind of figure things out i mean i will be totally honest with you any listening like i still don't i still can't do sovereign feeds and make a feed out of it like i don't know how the hell to do it and i've tried maybe four or five times over the couple of years that has existed. And for me, like the reason I go back to VS code with my feed up is just because that's, that's how, what I know. And so I don't have to guess and click around and say, Oh, well, what does this do? And what does this do? And what does this translate into? I can just write it right into the feed. So people like see me doing my own feed as like that. I have some kind of special additional ability or something, but really it's just cause I'm too dumb to figure out the <laughs> sovereign feeds thing quickly enough. You know what I mean? Like I, when I'm clicking around, I just come to this like, oh, I know what this is supposed to look like in the feed, so I'm just going to go over there, you know? Sure, and I'll be honest with you, uh, it's my own damn app, and I'll go back and do something that I haven't done in months, and I'm like, where the hell is this? Oh, yeah, I, I frequently come into that. Uh, sometimes the comments you leave in code, they they always teach you in the boot camps, like, the comments that you leave in code are to help, you know, future developers kind of you might not be the guy looking at this code the next time. Like it might be somebody else and you want to say, okay, this is how I came up with this, or this is where this section starts. But the big secret is the, the future coder that's going to look at this is also you that doesn't remember what the hell you were doing. (laughs) Yeah. Anytime I got to go back and look at it, I'm like, man, who's the dumbass who wrote this? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I I think that bleeds a a lot into the uh, electrician thing too, though, doesn't it? Uh, You kind of like get in there and look at a job and go, wow, what the hell was the last guy? Uh, yeah. The thing is, is, uh, as an electrician, I'm not the last guy who looked at it. Right. So I can, I can blame it on that other guy. Totally. Um, but yeah, I've, I don't think I've ever had a job to go back and look at where I'm the one who had done it, uh, years before. So there's, that just means it worked every time. Uh, or somebody else was looking at it going, what was this dumbass doing? <laughs> yeah. Somebody else's problem. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, so that's kind of the live item and how that generated or started out. We kind of dropped it before it was really 
ready or supported. You know, I, like somebody just has to throw down and go first and figure it out and chop yeah. through the jungle with a machete. And then everybody else sees the path and goes, oh, hell, like, look at this. You just do it like they did. How did you do it? And then we can say, oh, we did it like this and help them out. You know, like mm-hmm. you don't have to chop through the jungle because we chopped it. Um, the next thing up, I think, was uh, a combination of Sovereign Feeds and Music Side Project. It kind of like got separated and turned into um, two different things. So I just kind of wanted to give you a chance to set up and explain the two different products, Sovereign Feeds which is a feed builder versus music side project, which is geared specifically to the music thing. You could technically pull off publishing music through both, right? Yes. There's uh there's the ability to change your medium to whatever you want in sovereign feeds. And then if you create a new podcast, it'll prompt you to ask, are you building a podcast or building a music feed? And that came first, right? Before the whole music side project, you just kind of yeah. built music into sovereign feeds. Yeah, once the uh, medium tag got finalized, I was like, oh, okay, I can easily uh, change this to just prompt for the media, uh, the music medium. And then instead of uh, displaying a title, I would dis- – or instead of displaying podcast, I'd display the word album. So I changed some of the headers based on what the meme is. Gotcha. But yeah, that was uh, – and that was probably a year before um, Music Side Project came out. And then when Music Side Project did come out, the – I guess the logic there is just let's strip this down to the very bare bones of what an artist needs to get music on. Basically, um, it's sovereign feeds under the hood. Uh, I just copied a bunch of the code based and changed the skin on it and then stripped out stuff. Um, so I don't have it where you can put your different artists. So podcast person is not part of music side project. Uh, it's a nice to have, but for your basic artist, um, it would just complicate it for them. And I just wanted something where they can get their music out there. And if they wanted to add that stuff, you can easily import your stuff, uh, your album into sovereign feeds to add all the other features. Gotcha. So you kind of just get the, the initial project going in, in MSP and then to fine tune it or tweak it or add to it in the future, uh, sovereign feeds is yeah, and so I just recently to Music Side Project added uh, chapters and transcripts. I'm not sure about the chapters um, because most songs are going to be three to five minutes, but um, it was just easy enough to add. But I thought the transcripts was important enough to add because I think that having the lyrics show up with the uh, or the ability to add lyrics is important. Now I just need to go back to Ellen Beats and uh, surface the lyrics. Totally. Yeah, I think lyrics is a uh, a big time uh, value add to any any music that's out there. The first time I saw hours working, I want to say the only app that really did it uh to my satisfaction or that I could really like see it going on was Podcast Addict at the very beginning. And since then others have kind of uh moved things around and worked on that. Uh, I think Fountain they've separated all of their music into a separate concern, which I think is a, is a great idea because the experience is totally different when you're listening to podcasts versus music. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that the way they're doing it, they keep it in their app, but they still separate that concern. It's similar to your, your, uh, solution of just totally separating the apps entirely. Um, because you gotta, you gotta deliver that differently. You know, if I'm playing an album, I expect these songs to play in a certain order and just go play the next one right away. Like, don't wait. Don't make me tap next song three minutes later. Like, just go. Yeah. Um, 
so with uh with the lyrics thing that's another really nice it just looks nice you're playing it it's up there on the screen and like you know not all songs are that easy to understand you got to listen to them seven eight times and maybe there's misheard lyrics having them right there on the screen nice Oh, for sure it is. And I always think about when I was in my late teenage, early 20s. And um, dude, I just had a rack of CDs and I loved pulling out the uh, CD liners and, and reading the lyrics as I was listening to the whole album and everything. And all this streaming stuff has kind of taken away from that. So I don't know if that's just nostalgia because everyone thinks their early 20s was the best uh, or if the uh, if that really was like the last good time before everything just kind of went haywire. But um, I would like to be able to create that as much as possible. So, but we can do it in a different way because we're not going back to CDs and CD liners. Although if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought we would be spending $30 on records either. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think there's something to be said about like the analog delivery. It's like the, I don't know, the fully lossless, um, you know, for true audiophiles, like the fully lossless sound. Well, and like going back to what we were talking about with making your own stuff, um, there's something that pulls you into that record when you have to, like you're engaged with it more. It's not just background noise. Yes. And um, there's something about that that it's just, it's it's a different experience. And, and I prefer that as the experience. And you really have to listen to it and you're paying attention because it, that record's going to stop and now you've got to flip it and there's this tactile involvement with it that um, when you just put on Pandora or Spotify, it just blends into the background and, and now you're not paying attention to it. Yeah, totally. Um, so, okay, there's there's the the next step. Wow, I got a pee. How did that happen? Oh, right, because I have new helipad. But wait, we've heard we've folding heard pins. pins this whole time. I'm so confused right now. See, I don't even know how my own stuff works. You ever feel that way? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> what the hell is this pew? What is this pew? I, I fixed the pew. Uh, that pew was Booberry, by the way, 17776, who said, Already saw GIFs working on Ellen Beats. Can't wait to start making some for music. Also, MSP rules. Thank you. Nice. Yeah, and uh, I think it was a Scooby-Doo GIF, which I, uh, I appreciate. There you go. Yes, the Scooby Doo. Yeah, I know what he's. I know what he's referencing. Yeah, you mentioned the Scooby. No, I I love what Booberry's doing with everything. It's uh, he's really pushing the envelope, and I think that's so awesome. I just like to see the demonstrate. You know, anybody who is just too short sighted or uh, completely brain dead to not see the value in the uh, podcasting two point ecosystem should just take an honest look at what Boobery's doing. Like all of these ways to deliver the content that will give your listener or your viewer or whatever, a different experience, a different way to experience this that has never been possible before. I mean, in all of these other apps, when we consume our digital content, you're either in YouTube or you're on Spotify or you're in some zombie land. Uh, it's just this walled existence and like, yeah, okay, the UI looks slick and it works like in an expected way, but there's nothing like surprising or out of the ordinary or different. And all of the stuff Booberry's doing over there where it's totally interactive, where I can like make a gimp mumble things in the background of his show because I do that, like the, the, the level of interaction and involvement that you can have 
it's not possible anywhere else. There's nothing that does that anywhere else. Like the closest they've come is the TikTok. Mm, mm, very nice. Mm, 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 ice cream. Like <laughs> there's no, there's nothing else going on, you know? No. And he keeps asking for new stuff where it's just like, man, that's fun. And honestly, if this ever stops being fun, I'm not going to do it anymore. Totally. No, I um, totally but, agree. And, and he's honestly, he's the drama kid who got to do that for the rest of his life. That lucky and bastard. I know, man. Like, he didn't have to grow up. Like, he gets to do that, and it's fun to see what he's doing and the creativity that comes out of somebody who's just constantly thinking of, how can I make this thing more exciting and more interactive? I think uh, him coming out of the, the stagehand tradition, too, really helps a lot in that whole, like, knowing just intricate amounts of, like, reacting to cues like all right i have my lighting set up and when they hit the when they hit the drop in this song everything immediately completely changes and turns blue and everything's fucking blue for the rest of this song and we're going to turn the lights up to this percentage and just like change that whole atmosphere of visually you know and then he's trying to map those those previous experiences onto this new world that we're creating together. I think it's just so invaluable. Like he has yeah. a certain skill set that's unique that has really been able to expand this in a in a professional way. Sure, and and in a way that um, it, it makes it fun for everyone involved and including the audience. Like, and that's why the boostograms has been so fun. Totally is, and and the live chat and. When we're all listening to podcasting 2.0 or even bowls uh, with buds, man, um, like we've got the chat going on right now. Yep. And dude, it's cool when you get a shout out in the middle of the podcast based on something you had just written. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like podcasting 2.0. I feel like that's what may people who aren't in the actual interactivity of the world of what we're doing here. They'll, they'll never quite grasp what it means. Like, when Adam Curry, week after week, says this is the podcasting 2.0 boardroom meeting, what he's saying is this is a situation where we're sitting down and it's not just me and Dave talking to one another. There's a whole, the whole board is here. We have a quorum. When he's saying we have a quorum, what he means is Adam can't say something ridiculously wild that the project doesn't like because instantly the, the chat will start flaming, you know, or... If if there's something that he needs to come up with and he's like, oh, what's this thing? Remember we talked about this. The chat is instantly there with like, oh, it's this. So it is that whole extra layer. And if you just listen to your podcasts in a queue, on a drive, later on, you know, like you'll get all that info. But there's this whole interactive layer that lies beneath that is going on all the time, especially with the live stuff, man. The live oh, is just yeah. like a complete whole nother level. Dude, when they don't have an episode or it's a pre-recorded one, Friday at 1230 is like the highlight of my week. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I, and dude, I bet I bet there's probably 40 or 50 people listening live. It's not that many. But um, that community, there's something very special about it. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's totally a different uh, different thing going on. We yeah. do. I finally figured out what the hell was going on. I have both helipads open up. Oh, nice doubling up. So I've got the pews coming from here and the bowling strikes coming from over. Uh, we did have Sir Seat Sitter come in with sixty nine, sixty nine out of CurioCaster. Sixty nine, sixty nine, dudes. He says, "Show Bob's show vagine." <laughs> okay. 
Uh, head to the chat for for the showing of that. Uh, eleven thousand eleven hundred and one. That's how you'd say that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. Eleven thousand one hundred one. What a retard. From from Harpat. That's eleven thousand one hundred eleven. That's five uh five Richards in one satchel. That's how you say it in my world. Boosting is fun, he says. That's the point. He boosted out a CurioCaster, just demonstrating right in real time how fun it is. You can get in there and uh, boost and have fun yourself. Many such cases. Uh, another aspect that we just learned straight from Hog Story is this voicemail aspect where you can set up a voicemail box and you can ask people, hey, you know, you got a question, you got something to say, you got a real-time interaction. You can pick up the phone, you can dial 816-607-3663, you can leave a message, and we'll play it. So, like, if you have a question for Steven, for instance, you could do that, and we have a couple callers who did. Uh, would you like to hear the voicemail? Let's hear it, man. Let's see. I shall uh, play those to you now. Congratulations! You have reached Boeth Buds. You finally updated that vocal mail. Sweet. Good job. Mark that <laughs> off the list. You're still man. calling Boeth Bull Bull after Bull Buller. Mr. Stephen B, the B of the ball, the B of the bell. Awesome. Um, just looked him up. I follow him on NAS. And I probably because I just hear his name on a bunch of stuff. But beyond that, I don't know. You may have heard um, of him. Parmesan cheese. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll go with, um, when did you first hear of Adam Curry? And then when did you first hear of Mr. John C.? Dvorak. And uh, when was the last time you left a vocal mail on a podcast? You could remedy this during the show, by the way. If the answer is zero. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. That'd be that. Lorian, Spencer. Lorian, you got to talk more. Come on. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Spencer. Hold out. Yeah. Well then. Oh, Hi, I just got a well done. Right. Well, guys, <laughs> enjoy that uh, afternoon agenda slot. And, uh, you know, stay dangerous. And, uh, whether or not you're in a bowl, or you're out of a bowl, or you're just looking at bowls, you know what to do. Give that wonderful party. <laughs> well, Kaka to you, Kakaller. Yeah, thanks, Kakaller. So I think we went over most of that, unless unless I'm wrong. When did you first hear of Adam Curry and of John C. Dvorak? Were they at different times? No, it wasn't until my buddy uh, hit me in the mouth, and that was when I heard of both of them. Then uh, I guess I knew of uh, Adam Curry from Headbangers Ball, but I didn't know that it was Adam Curry till after No Agenda. Yeah, I but, uh, kind of like was peripherally aware of Headbangers Ball because it would be like set. It would be something said in hushed tones because I was raised like super Christian uh, evangelical, and so those kind of things would be like. If if Ozfest or something was ever brought up and be like Ozfest like the Headbangers Ball, it would be like hushed tones type of stuff. And yeah. so I was just like, okay, like not a world I was exposed to. Uh, which is hilarious looking back at it now, right? Because it's just a music show. <laughs> it's a rock music. Yeah, but that that rock music's of the devil. Satan Satan <laughs> worshiping. Yeah. So man, I really wish that it was. I knew him from um, Swamp Thing, but it's not. Oh my god! <laughs> Tell me about it. It's all right. We now know him from Swamp Thing. Yeah. And Associated Projects. Like yes, podcasts. Associated Projects. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it was really, uh, it was no agenda. I suspect that's how most people uh, nowadays know him. I think that's probably right. Either as like the pod father or 
as an extension of as no agenda. I know that a lot of people who have been around the block and old heads, they'll cite daily source code a lot. But um, now it's kind of like podcasting 2.0 plus Boostergram ball equals daily source code. Yeah. It's kind of like all the way back full circle. And even they, you know, they're playing a, at least one jam on podcasting 2.0 nowadays, which I think is pretty cool too. Yeah, that is cool. I think they're going to start doing it on uh, Curry and the Keeper too. Oh, I heard him mention that. Yeah, that's that's neat. It's just awesome to be able to do that. And speaking of like, uh, I feel like I'm in a South Park episode now called Booberry Did It. Because Booberry's had that intermission on Behind the Schemes for ages, you know? And so yeah. now like to be able to add the value aspect right to that in real time, it's just so kick-ass. Like that's the... You know, before value for value used to be, okay, you listen to the No Agenda show sometime during the week, and then you go on to PayPal and you send in a PayPal and you hope that it gets in time to be read on the next episode, but maybe if not, then it's the following episode. So there's this whole like, go in, pay, wait kind of thing, and then maybe it gets lost in the shuffle, maybe this or that. Now what we have is such a bunch of real-time stuff that we're getting the ability to hear something live, boost in live, get that p- printed into the chat room live, get the hosts reading it live. It's just so so next level that I think like everybody who rolls their eyes at the podcasting 2.0 thing, it's like it's like dude, how can you not see that this is completely revolutionary, completely changing everything about how to deliver a live show? Yeah, what's cool about it is that nobody's sitting around a table with a whiteboard. It's just a bunch of people pursuing stuff that makes them excited. Yep. And we end up getting all this just because it's a passion project for people. Yeah, people care and they get their jimmies by being here and doing, you know, like that's what I love about it too. It's it's like nobody's here reluctantly. Nobody goes, "Oh shit, I guess it's time." podcasting 2.0 like no everybody's like ah oh, finally a boardroom meeting we're in here hey everybody's here what's up in the chat you know uh it's it's kick ass it is and uh i, I will be honest um i do anytime he says uh steven b is awesome i make the kids listen to that power <laughs> <laughs> i love it little uh little reminder yes i i, I need the validation from my kids uh i might have validation in form of a voicemail Wait. There was one more question in that voicemail, the last one, which was, have you left a voicemail on any podcast? Oh, good I call. Have, I have not left a voicemail on a podcast. Well, um, I, I guess there's this one and Hog Story, huh? This one, Hog Story, behind the schemes has the scream mail as well. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's there's options. Homegrown, Homegrown Hits? Homegrown Hits has a voicemail, Homegrown too. Homegrown Hits? Oh, yes. There's voicemails out there. Uh, Nick the Rat, you could leave a voicemail. You could call in and talk to the rat directly, although... That's usually past my bedtime, or maybe not my bedtime, but my in-bed time. Like, maybe asleep, but I'm definitely horizontal. Sure. And Lotus Effect. Lotus Effect. Plenty See, of voicemail boxes. Here we go listing, right. here we go listing again. I would say that listing things, especially when it involves your friends and podcasting, uh, is even more of a guarantee to make an asshole out of you and everybody else than assuming yeah. things. Because <laughs> uh, you're going to leave someone out. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I would never leave this next caller out, though. In the bowl, I don't know if I had any questions offhand. I just because um, you know everything. really wanted to extend gratitude once more for all the fantastic tools that you've uh, just put out there for people to use. Um, 
been having a great time with them. It's a lot of fun. And uh, it does, like, especially with, uh, I could I could make multiple phone calls about how much I'm enjoying the split kit. Oh, please do. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> very, in a very real way, it's helping bring back what that old normal kind of used to feel like. And, uh, you know, now, now it's a situation where people can be a conduit to, uh, to the exchange of value. And it's, it's, it's a little surreal. It's a little surreal. I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, I've been having a blast with the music side project. Um, I did a search on the website last night. There was 320 MP3s. Um, I don't think there's any duplicates. So I'm definitely, you know, I actually had a, a Fergus 33. He's, he's hit me up with a couple of recommendations for, for people to reach out to. Nice. So it's like dropping little matches everywhere. It's pretty cool. In the bowl. In the bowl, Booberry. In the bowl. The legendary moth. Yeah, it's been a blast working with him, and um, he's got some ideas. Man, sometimes I wish I just focused on one project, but uh, I would get bored with it. Yeah, I'm the same way. But um, yeah, Split Kit, there's a lot of stuff I want to do. Um, Cotton Gin and Booberry have asked for quite a few features that uh, I think are going to be really fun. I just, so I end up getting contacted by a gentleman who wants to put music side project in one of his apps. He's basically doing, um, so it's like start nine as a service. So okay. instead of, and, um, he wants to use music side project. So artists can use this and host their own feed using this, um, whatever he's calling it, uh, federated computing. Okay. So, um, I've had to. I've been messing around with Dockerizing Music Side Project so that people can host it on um, if they wanted to do it on their um, um, Umbral or on their um, oh man uh, the Raspberry Pi or Start Nine or sure. whatever. So uh, that's what I've been working on for the last week because I had all these plans for Split Kit and then this came up and he wants to present it at the uh, Bitcoin Amsterdam thing, which is on the fifth. So gotcha. Yep. I, yeah. I know how that goes. You've got these timelines and visions and all right, here's what's next in the queue. Here's what's next in the queue. And then something comes along and you're like, oh, this is now first in the queue. Everything else gets bumped. Yeah. And it's just the exposure. I really want the music to, I, I want as many people to see the music and what's possible. But um, I agree with Cotton Gin with, uh, he, he gave uh, Docker a minus minus. That has been such a pain in the ass. <laughs> right. But oh, um man. I'm I'm excited about it and basically he's offering me $10 a month per user that signs up so if that takes off like that would be cool I could spend more time doing stuff I enjoy doing. Yeah, no doubt. But um it's kind of neat cuz that's all organic. I'm I'm certainly not out there um like shielding any of this stuff. Yep. Uh, that's what's beautiful about it like, you know, you could program a tool like the split kit but if you don't have a guy like Booberry going out there and pushing the limits of what it can do and telling you what it needs to do, then that, that just is a stale little piece of code out there that uses and it's not exciting and it doesn't do anything. But yeah, so it takes all of these roles, you know? It does. I originally had a, a Svelte tutorial website 
that was it was interactive and on um have you seen the uh the free code camp stuff uh yeah i think you directed me to that when i very first showed interest in uh... yes and um so that was my original project and nobody knew about it and um this isn't field of dreams and if you build it they will come um yeah you know you could have the best app out there and if people don't know about it then it's you might as well have not made it uh, aside yep. from the like your own personal enjoyment so when I was making my podcast player, that was to make my life easier. But um, Split Kit and even Sovereign Feeds was not to make my life easier. It's uh, it's made my life significantly more complicated. But um, that was the sort of thing that Adam ends up with these ideas. And I get excited because I'm like, oh, that seems like a fun project. I bet I can build that. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and that's what the split kit ended up being. He was talking about um, the Bitcoin. Uh, what? Where's that going to be up in uh, Nashville? Uh, yes. And uh, talking about having a deal where you can have the as the conference speaker is speaking, the value block changes, and you could boost the different speakers in real time. And I yeah. thought, man, that's a, that's a cool that idea. Would be killer. That's really awesome. So that's you can actually do that with the split kit. That's what I had in mind, but then the uh, the value time splits came up, and I thought I could easily change it from boosting a person to boosting an album. Sure. So I'm kind of curious, just in uh, from a technical perspective, split kit, like what it's doing and and how it's working, because the only thing I'm really aware of is is the split kit ui somewhat lorian is always the one driving that so i don't really i've i've made some sample blocks but like i've never actually done a live show where i'm clicking around and and putting all that together so i just have like a theoretical knowledge of the of the ui side and then i know that i need to include this podcast live value tag which is an uh is not in the namespace. It's not an official supported tag. It's just kind of one of those running with scissors tags that you've mm-hmm. invented. Uh which has two attributes, a URI and a protocol of socket.io. And so I'm just kind of interested in like what all this means or how it works together. So what's that for is so that a podcast app knows where to listen for the events. Gotcha. And then the uh, protocol lets it know what type of events it needs to listen to. So um, uh, Alex Gates wants to do um, XMPP. Oh, and sure. Then, uh, yeah, and you can do it with WebSockets. And I chose Socket.io because it handled a bunch of stuff under the hood. So I just chose that one because it was easy to get up and running with. Mm. So that just lets the app know, hey, uh, if you want to listen to this event – this is the uh, protocol that the event is being sent on. So socket.io is very similar to WebSockets. Um, it just adds some stuff to it. Basically, the split kit. So let's say that Lorian opens up um, one of her shows and she's got an event. Um, that opens up a connection with my server. And then if you're on an app that listens to that, uh, that value tag of what was it called? I forget. The podcast live value? Yeah, the podcast live value. So now if you're listening on CurioCaster, CurioCaster will open up a connection to that uh, server as well. So now anytime that Lorian broadcast an event to the server, it rebroadcast it out to all the clients. And uh, inside of it's just a, a JSON file with the uh, title and the value tag and um, 
the images and all that stuff. That's killer. And then um, that's how, um, so Cotton Gin with his, uh, with his split Kate relay. Yeah, which he, by the way, rushed home to get back online. So it's like working in the chat again right now. Okay. Yeah, and um, all he's doing is he has he goes or connects to my server, and then whenever that event is sent, he uh, as a client he's able to get that JSON, and then he has his uh, IRC bot process that JSON and print the stuff to the IRC chat out of that JSON. Very nice. Okay, killer. So, is there anything in the hopper next that uh, you're going to completely reinvent and, and scissor slash and add to the podcast namespace? Um, I don't have anything new as far as like new tags or new functionality. Um, I, I want to get so right now when Adam is playing a song, he has to manually um, uh, trigger the split kit. Yes. Um, so I want to build an API so that if you have a program that's playing it, uh, so his actually has a deal when you hit the song, um, it can send something to a REST API. Okay. So I want something in the split kit where if you've got certain permissions and he hits play on his player, then it will um, send us a request to the split kit. And then the split kit will take that and handle changing the uh, broadcast and starting the next song and sending it all out. So you're not having to manually do that. Uh, it's all done within your recording software. That sounds fantastic. So that's, uh, that's one thing. And then um, Cotton Gin was asking for something similar where he wants to be able to remotely control going to the next, um, to the next block. And then um, I'm thinking about ways that if you send it a certain message, uh, then you can not just go to the next block, but choose whichever block you want. And um, that could work where if you send a certain message to the IRC bot, then it triggers that a particular song is played. Um, I really like to do a jukebox mode type of thing where people can uh, send a thousand sats and then it puts that song in the queue it just plays uh, the songs in the queue like it was a jukebox. Yeah, yeah that would be a lot of fun. But um, what else do I got going on? Ellen Beats. Uh, I want to do. Um, I want to be able to sync across devices, but I need to start getting a database implemented with that. Right now, everything's just stored on your local machine. Gotcha. So it's just then, a pure client side uh, situation right now. Yep. Yep. And um, I'm also working on the deal that Adam had talked about um, where the as heard on. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, linking back to basically any feed that references a, 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 a remote item of that song. Basically. So what I need to do is whenever somebody's playing a music podcast that has a, a bunch of remote items, I need to, the, the index doesn't have all this stuff available. So I'm to a point now that I'm going to end up having to uh, create my own database with that info. And uh, CurioCaster, man, I, I haven't messed with that aside from uh, fixing bugs here in a long time. Uh, like I said, that's just not as interesting to me. Sure. It's become kind of backburned. It has. The, that, the music stuff's far more interesting. It's a cool problem to have, though, you know, because maybe one day when the, you know, you get sick of the music stuff, CurioCaster will become uh, fun again. Yeah, it, it, it probably will, because um, I'd like to speed it up, and um, I'd like to make the mobile version uh, quite a bit better. Sure. But um, 
As a desktop app, I'm pretty satisfied with it. There's definitely some things that I would change um, as far as it's kind of janky with loading stuff. Sure. And uh, Svelte has become mature enough that uh, I could fix that, but it ended up being a rewrite of quite a bit of the code because uh, Svelte's gone into a, a stable 1.0 version. Oh. Whereas I was, uh, I wrote Curiocaster when it was still in its uh, zero point whatever version. Sure. God, what what fun that is! I would say out of everything, that is the most discouraging aspect of programming I've experienced so far. Is just like finding people that are familiar with and work within your stack. <laughs> sure. Because it's like Tower of Babel out there, man. Like if I want to collaborate with people, I either got to relearn a stack while I'm also trying to better learn the stack that I'm already familiar with. And uh, it just kind of spreads my butter even thinner on the, on the, on the toast, you know? It does. And then like, um, so I don't know if Svelte's ever going to become the sort of thing where it's a marketable skill. Um, React, if you want a job, you need to know React. Yeah. But uh, I don't like React. It's not fun for me. It's like so, React and then Angular. Like those are kind of the two kings yeah, and, of, uh, and then Vue. Vue is like rounding out the top three, but React and Angular are easily the two in the lead. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't enjoy coding in them. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not doing this stuff for money. I'm doing it for fun. The, the money's a bonus. And there are times where like, I'm like, man, I don't want to be in front of the computer anymore. I want to go out there and, uh, I just want to hike for the next week. Pick yarrow and make some herbal remedies. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But, and, and there's like, I was real discouraged with a uh, Karyocaster for a while there. Um, it seemed like fountain was getting all the love. Sure. And, um, I had to be okay with that and, and say, you know what? Um, maybe my role is different. And, um, that's why I, I've become okay with, my app is the one to demonstrate what's possible. Sure. Well, you've just been planting so many flags too of like being able to do something for the first time. I mean, like you wouldn't have uh, messed around and made Curiocaster respect live items first, then we wouldn't have been able to do the first live show. You know, like That's right. no one would have been able to listen to it. We could have put it in the feed, sure, but like it doesn't matter if nobody can listen to it. And then. Because you're out there doing that, then other apps see that and go, oh, this is being used. We can implement this now. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, I'm okay with that. And like, and Adam always says, um, I eat my own dog food. And, um, <laughs> and it's true. Like uh, with, the, with the value time split, um, I put it into Sovereign Feeds so that people can do it. But until you have an app that's reading it and showing you what's possible then nobody's going to do value time split. It's complicated and, and it doesn't make sense. Why would I use this? And then when they see it, it's just like, oh crap, This where's this been our whole lives? Yeah, no doubt. And uh, dude, everyone's putting value time splits in. It's being able to switch the wallet. Is, the, the wallet dude, that switching is, technology. It's sexy. Dude, it's cool. No doubt. But uh, I don't know. And I get it. Like they're running a business. And they, they can't be as experimental as I am Yep. until it's proven itself. Well, uh, most of the other people, they've got a board, they've got, you know, if they want to do something, there's a whole process that has to go down. You know, they have to write up a proposal that makes sense and then they have to ask permission and the proposal has to be good enough to get a yes. And then they have to go back and build it after that. And then they have to test it like, for you. You, you can skip all the steps and just put it right into testing. Yeah, and you guys are the testers. Yeah, exactly. 
And like, we, I don't have to, like, if it breaks, then it's not that big of a deal. Like you guys fully expect that my stuff's going to have some times that it's not working properly, but, uh, we're not going to be like, Steven, my mom can't use this. Yeah. And, <laughs> and even if you did, it'd just be like, all right, man. Well, um, you got what you paid for. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you got so the, you got the value you put in. <laughs> yeah. So there's an element of, um, the freedom. And, and in fact, I, I really value it. Um, I don't think I'd like to code for somebody else full time. I don't know that it would be fun. Yeah, I, I agree. You're always working. Well, deadlines, first of all, if anybody knows anything about the my process, like deadlines are pretty bad for me. I can usually deliver on a deadline if it's somebody else's deadline. I can never deliver on a deadline I impose <laughs> because it's, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. It's just like, it's not enough fire under my ass, I guess. Like, yeah. uh, I'm okay letting myself down. I can't let, like, somebody else down. That crushes me. But if it's myself, like, you know. I guess it's because your boss isn't an asshole enough and won't fire you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> if I fire myself, oh, my yeah. God. That but, would uh, be the day. Yeah. So, um, speaking of value being put in, I just got back-channeled this potential uh, freedom boost. Oh, beautiful. Ooh. Look at that. That's the extended freedom boost here. Let me do it one more time with a better look. Yeah, yeah, look at that. Thank you, Make Hair. Now I've got something to hit when uh, Booberry boosts us. Uh, and then we did have another boost. Eastside Tony came in 420 sats from Podverse. He's asking, Steven, any advice for a 10 knocker who wants to learn how to code for fun and hopefully learn enough to add to the network? Um, man, so... I don't have advice, but I can tell you my story. Okay. I, I got into programming because I was into gardening and I live in San Antonio, Texas, and it's hot down here. So in order to keep my plants watered, I needed a sprinkler system. So I the, to get one that did everything I wanted, because I want to be able to water the uh, seedlings at one time for a certain length. And then the other plants, I the one I wanted was like $150. And like I said earlier, I'm a cheap ass at heart. Yeah. So I was just like, man, I don't want to spend $150 on this. So I ended up looking into how could I build my own sprinkler system and discovered the uh, Arduino. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, cool. This thing is a microcontroller and it can control relays. And when I was in the Navy, I was an electronics technician, so I could totally do this. Um, I didn't realize how much coding was involved in it, but as soon as I made that light blink for the first time, I fell in love with coding. So my recommendation is to build, I, I like the physical stuff. I like having a relay that when it turns on, so I built a, uh, for my, uh, brewing, I needed to keep the, uh, temperatures at 50 degrees. So I just took an old chest freezer with a thermostat and, um, I just changed it so that instead of um, getting down to zero, it would uh, cycle the compressor on and off and keep it around 50 degrees. I think coding with something that affects the physical world gives you that immediate gratification. But, um, dude, even something like a website where you've got a button and when you click it, something else happens. I think coding the stuff that's interactive just gives you that motivation. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Um 
that's a fun question too because it's like yeah it's it's where do i start can always be over it's kind of like when uh people are finally come to you and they're ready to take the bitcoin plunge and they know that you're the guy that knows about that they're like hey what wallet should i use and you're like oh 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 uh <laughs> you know get three pick three from this list and use three wallets you know that's what i usually tell mm-hmm. you got you got to use several and then you'll kind of understand what's similar and what's different between them all will help you start to understand what the fuck's going on in the first place which sure. is the most important part what is going on um in terms of coding, that's what I really am trying to do with the uh, DMU group uh, that I'm putting up on GitHub. Uh, I want that to eventually be a value-for-value value introduction to coding itself because XML, much like HTML, is the perfect first starting point. And so my my long-term vision of that is having a step-by-step video walkthrough of how to take the RSS template, sit down with your band come up with a a business agreement essentially that is signed in an RSS feed. So you you know, you don't need legal documents, you don't need this and that. You have an you have an XML file that you put up on the internet that anybody can look at at any time and say like, "Oh, is the agreement still what we agreed on?" It's it's right here live for everybody to see and you decide who gets what of each song and of the entire album and then you just put it out there and you code it yourself. Uh, through something like VS Code, some kind of code editor. So that's kind of my vision, and I think that that's a perfect, uh, another perfect way to dip your toes in with zero coding experience. Sure, and the the XML file super simple to understand. Yep. Uh, once you open it up, um, just like changing your oil, it's actually quite simple to do. Yep. Um, it just seems overwhelming because you've got all this stuff, but the minute someone shows you, yeah. it's just like, oh, this isn't as frightening as I thought it was. And yeah. it's not as complicated as I thought it was. It's like you've got the oil tank, the oil filter. So you take all the old oil out and the old oil filter out. And then you put the new in with some oil in it, fill the rest of the oil in the tank. Boom. Bam. Yeah. And I saw your uh, template and it's got explanations of what everything is and... There's no reason somebody couldn't cut and paste or copy paste their uh, links yep. and replace yours with theirs. Yeah, that's that's the design for sure. Yeah, so the XML's I think, a super easy file. Uh, and that's the same thing Dave said. And I think it's, uh, I'll give people this caveat. Like, it's easy to hear programmers come on and say, oh, you can read the file and you know what it's doing. Maybe not if it's the first file that you've ever read, right, in code. And so I kind of understand that caveat it, if if this is the first time you're looking at any kind of coded file in earnest, then it might seem like too much, right? It might seem a little overwhelming looking through all these tags. But what's <coughs> nice is they're all in plain English, and the syntax is super simple. Like you, see, you can see what a tag is, where it starts and stops, and then what the content is. Sure. So I think that those just little tiny explanations are what the main content of my video series will be, is just kind of like... Hey, this is what a tag is. This is where it starts and stops and just like the super basics. Yeah. And some of them are super easy. You you know what a title tag is. Yeah. But what is a podcast dad medium? Okay. That one may be a little bit uh, where it's just like, wh- what it, what does each thing mean? Right. And it's the same thing with, uh, with programming. So you can pretty much guess what a in JavaScript what a for each um, does on an array. Yeah, but unless you understand uh, what a map is from some of your um, your algebra two classes, you may not know what a map does to an array. 
Sure. But yep. it's not difficult. You just don't know quite what it means. Now, I know like, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Daniel. Uh, oh, man. What is his name? Daniel. It yeah, looked da- like Dan- Daniel. <laughs> uh, Daniel B. Uh, he has like a podcast show. In my eyes. Oh, oh, uh, Daniel J. Lewis. That's who you're yeah, talking Jan- about. Yeah, Jan- Daniel J. Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he's always pushing for, hey, let's make these uh, tags where they're they're simpler for people to understand. Sure. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think like you can be taught what they understood are. Yeah, it's this is a common trap in programming of like Pew! having arguments and discussions about how, what should we rename this stuff to make it more uh, make it make more sense. What should we name our variables? And it's like, all right, well, once the variable's named, it's named and it does this. And so I'm not going to go back and change it to a new name in my code base everywhere that it is. And even if you do decide, you know, you take a tag and you're like, all right, we're going to rename this tag. How are you going to make everybody change it in their code base? You never will. There will always be a percentage of people that still have the legacy name of the tag in there, and you're going to have to build your app to honor both now that that's the case. So you might as well never change names. Oh, yeah. Tags are written in stone as far as I'm concerned. That's why I like the – I think that's in the rules for standard makers too that is what Podcasting 2.0 adapted as its like original uh, – way it's working under it works under the rules for standard makers where it basically says once it's named it's fucking nick let's move on yeah and um should it be called something different than chapters i don't know i don't care like yeah, um probably like, but who cares yeah and and it is what it is let me figure out what i can do with what it is a transcript on an album actually is the lyrics but we're not going to call it lyrics over there because it's already named transcript like that's yeah. just it's just what it's called and if you're programming it and you're reading the transcript tag, you already know what it does. You don't need, like, so who's that for? You know, who are we renaming it for? <laughs> but I, I don't know. I think he may have a, the lay person in mind who's coming in and doing what you're talking about. Where sure. when you've got an XML and they're like, podcast transcripts, where the hell do I put my lyrics? Mm-hmm. Well, that's where documentation comes in. Yeah. But See, he, none of it's difficult. It's just a matter of we're, we're unfamiliar with it. That's but, correct. And dude, if you change the name to something else, you still got to teach that name. So uh, the it's there's so much time and effort wasted on that sort of thinking of, oh, how do we optimize what it's called so that it'll sure. make more sense? Like, just just tell me what it does, and then it makes sense. Like, who cares what it is called? Yep. And uh, look, I've had uh, Ainsley Costello's mom. I've worked with her with building some feeds for her husband with um, the Power Music Hour. Yeah. And um, dude, she's doing it in Sovereign Feeds, which is not the easiest software. But I've walked her through it three times. And uh, dude, she published the fourth time on her own with no questions. Tight. Cont- yeah, she was yep. just able to do it. It's, and it's not because it's difficult. She's unfamiliar with it. That's correct. It's all about reps in this world. It and is. So it's like once I've done it four or five times, now I know what I'm doing the sixth time and the seventh time. And I still might have questions when I hit an edge case I've never dealt with before. But for the most part, I can do it on my own. And and then it's just about asking those questions when you're into new territory, you know, like, uh, but the crucial step is to just get rid of that fear paralysis of, oh, I don't know what this is because like, yeah, you don't yet. Just like anything else that you do in life that you've never done before, you're going to like not really know what's going on. 
Yeah, uh, there's a uh, farmer I follow. Uh, his name's uh, Joel Salatin. Oh, totally. And, uh, We've met Joel yeah, Salatin. Oh, yeah. The dude's awesome. He's and a great um, guy. Yeah, he's got a book called uh, Family Friendly Farming. Yeah. And um, just his philosophy on how to raise children. And um, one of the things he told his son was, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first. I love that. Hmm. I did too. Because like what we're always told is anything worth doing is worth doing right. And it's just like, well, that's that's bullshit. Yeah. It's worth, because you're not going to do it right. Correct. You're not going to do it right the first hundred times. Yeah. But maybe not it, even ever really, but yeah, you can exactly. make it work. Yes. It's kind of like that, you know, we talked about a web app that's never done. Uh, you know, we, we just get it good enough to push to production, man. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this real, uh, there's a real value in good enough. Yeah, absolutely. A minimal viable product. We were talking exactly. about that. We talk about that all the time. Yep. It's uh, crucial to understand. Uh, a couple of pews from East Side Tony. By the way, I figured out what the pew was all about. Um, 420 with no note, and then 420 again from Podverse both times. He says, documentation. It's all about documentation. Yes, I agree. It, it is. And um, so back to his thing with coding. I would. So this is what I tell my son, um, because he's like, I really want to learn to code. And I said, you need to find something you're interested in doing. So mine was making a sprinkler system. Yep. Um his may be making uh, something that builds a RSS feed. Well, the first thing you need to do is how in the world do I do inputs? Mm-hmm. And now, now you can break that that goal of I want something that generates RSS feeds into these smaller bits, and then you're building something. But what you're doing is learning. And then the other thing I would do is um, I did I learned a lot from the free code camps. Yeah, and just building their product uh, projects and. Um, going through stuff because what is an H3 tag? What is a P tag? What, how do I build a form? What is a form? So there's certain, there's a certain base level of knowledge and dude, you can probably get through the free code camp, uh, the HTML one in probably three or four hours. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Nice. How many, um, how many free tools there are out there? W3 schools is another really great, uh, place to go for references and tutorials. And, and um, just build a bunch of stuff over and over again, and it starts to make sense. It's kind of like, you know, am I going to sit here and talk to you and uh, explain how to drive a car, and then you're any better at it? No. It takes getting in that car and driving somewhere and, you know, maybe grinding the gears if you're driving a manual. You know, like, it takes a few fuck-ups first. And, yeah, and, and being okay with that. Being okay with grinding the gears. Yeah. And then also having people around you who are okay with you grinding the gears. Right. Yeah. Just having a, (laughs) you gotta be in a vehicle where it's like, all right, you know, you grind this gear box, it will survive it. And I'm not going (laughs) to chew your ass out, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Now you know what not to do and you will be better equipped to avoid that. Like what not to do also has to be in muscle memory to avoid it, you know? Sure. Yeah. I was talking to my son about this because like I was explaining, he he really struggles with perfectionism. And because of that, he's afraid to start because he's like, well, I'm not going to do it very well. I was like, no, you're going to suck at it. I got told that was harsh to say, no, you suck. And it's just like, no, like I'm being honest, like, like to suck at something is okay. Totally. Like, Like when he was four, he sucked at riding a bike. Yep. But he still kept doing it and got better and better and better. So I was explaining to him that when I was an electrician, something as simple as using a hacksaw was the most difficult thing to do because one is you've got to know that there's different blades for different thicknesses of metal. 
So you have to make sure you're using the right blade for the application you're mm. doing. But then you've got this full length, you've got this 12 inch blade and what people do when they're first starting out, we call it Jimmy Jacksaw and they just, they go back and forth and they're only using two or three inches of that blade. Oh yeah. And, um, and then when you get to where you're using the full length of it, you're not, you don't have your hand where you're cutting perpendicular to the pipe. You're cutting it at an angle. Well, you want your pipe cut at a perp. So there's a ton of stuff going on with something as simple as using a hacksaw to cut a piece of metal tube. And um, I had to be very conscious of what I was doing. And I remember it was my second year as an apprentice and I had cut through the pipe and I realized that I had done it mindlessly. Like I didn't have to think about the steps. Ah, uh, yeah. But dude, it took two years of doing that every single day before it just got built into that muscle memory. Yep. Yeah. Even something like bowling or golf, you know, where there's like an, a whole approach and a swing or a step or a bunch of different parts of a simple action. It all happens mm-hmm. in like a second or less, but there's so many things to keep in mind in that, in that little short period of time. Yeah. But yeah. And, and you've you, got to start out bad and then improve sh- slowly over time. Yeah. And you can't improve them all at the same th- time. You have yep. to improve one aspect of it until yep. you've got that mastered. Totally. And uh, dude, coding's the same way. There's there's a ton to it, but you can break it into smaller parts. And yeah, eventually it gets to the point that, um, so I've been doing this for, oh man, probably 13 years now. And um, I'm I'm able to be so fast because one a lot of my apps are the same. Um, music or uh, Ellen Beats is very similar to Curiocaster. Sure. So I'm able to do Ellen Beats a lot faster because it's not my first time doing an MP3 playing app. And then I'm guessing that all of the code refactors that you wish you could do with Curiocaster, you just did while you were building Ellen Beats. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I also. I'm able to learn new stuff um, because I've got, I'm, I'm well beyond the basics. Yeah. So I can start messing with stuff like web sockets because I'm well beyond how do I even get this to display as a list? Sure. And I've already got a bunch of components that I'm able to reuse across apps that I've just built over the years. Yeah. That's really nice too. So that's part of why I can, it seems like I'm, I'm working really fast. I'm, I'm reusing a lot of stuff. And then uh, I guess I do kind of work fast, but I get, so because I work in the office, I get about an hour a day that I can code during lunch. Nice. And then in the evenings, um, this is my hobby. Like this is, this is what I love doing. So I, I get like three or four hours in the evening cause I'm not watching a lot of TV. I'm not playing video games. Like the thing I actually like to do with my free time is the coding. Yeah, definitely. That's what makes it great is like, you know, you get some spare time and that's what you want to do with it. You're like, Oh yeah. All right. I've got some time free. I'm going to spend it over here doing the stuff I love. That's inspirational, man. Uh, Wow, and we're coming up. We've been in here damn near three hours. Oh yeah. Um, I want to give you a sh- chance to tell people like who are interested in getting involved or uh, helping make this thing better. What What do you think is the best way generally to just communicate, or would that be like the Telegram group? Or so the the way to get a hold of me the quickest is probably on uh, the podcast index. Uh, so if anybody's on any of the Mastodon stuff, it's uh Stephen B at podcast index dot social. And then uh, from there you can get the telegram link uh, in my, uh, in my profile. 
Because I don't know what the Telegram link is off the top of my head. Um, yeah, it's probably some kind of uh, jumbled tm.me yeah. link anyway. Yeah. Uh, we can put it in the show notes, though, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely. So that's in my uh, profile if you need to get a link to it. Cool. And then um, I've got a GitHub, which would be uh, under the, uh, Dev the Bells 1111. Oh, yeah. Yep. That then, as well. Yeah. And um, honestly, um, most people don't know Svelte, which is a real shame because uh, it is it is super fun to code in Svelte. I like what I've seen, but th- that's my problem is just like, I ha- I have to be in React for work. I'm also mm-hmm. learning Next, which is a React framework. Sure. And then um, just translating all of that on top of learning, you know, deeper stuff. It's like, if I want to go to Svelte, I'm resetting all the way back to, okay, how do I manage my styles? How do I build a component? How You know, I'm going all the way back to step one. And you're saying like... Oh, I'm I'm deep now. You know, I'm I'm playing with WebSockets. I'm in the deeper knowledge of this stuff, and like I know how to manage state, and I know how to make API calls, and I know how to you know handle routing in these other <laughs> frameworks. But then I would have to go all the way back and relearn it all to change the uh, <laughs> to change into Svelte, which I know I could do, right? But you, it's just you an, could, but another you, time. You're... It's just yeah. like kicking the can even another year down the road or something. <laughs> like, And, and uh, you're not working at the speed of thought, whereas if you're in a framework that you're familiar with, right. then you're able to build stuff as you're thinking about it instead of having to pause to look back and say, okay, how do I do this? And grabbing old components I already have. Like, if I'm trying to reuse components, they're React components, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what yep. I have. That's what I've got around. So, And I'm fortunate enough that um, when I first started doing this stuff... Um, so I hated JavaScript when I first started, yeah. but um, I had a WordPress site and I, did you ever play a game in creative writing where you have to write a story and the teacher sets a timer and then when it goes off, you uh, pass uh, the story to the person behind you Yeah, and then you, and then like you read you, it and add on to their story. Yep. So my very first website was, I wanted something like that. And that uh, you would just be given a random story, you read it, and then you added on to it. Sure. Um, so I that was my project, and I was teaching myself JavaScript and PHP because I had that goal in mind. And um, eventually I was like, man, I really enjoy doing this. I think I'd like to do this as a job. So I ended up uh, looking and seeing, okay, React, if I want a job, I'm going to have to learn React. Mm-hmm. So I started doing React and everything, and... Um, I just, it was right around the point that uh, they were moving from uh, components to uh, hooks. Sure. So that was kind of a pain because the documentation, most of it was still in components. Right. Like class components and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, class. That's right. And uh, I really like functional way better. Me too. Yeah. So then uh, I did that for a while. And then I saw, uh, I don't know how I came across Svelte, but... Because um, I originally, when I was doing the PHP, I was I learned to do uh, the JavaScript with vanilla JavaScript, and Svelte just felt very natural to uh, it, it fixed a lot of the pain points of the vanilla JavaScript, but was close enough that I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. So I was just like, man, I really like doing this much more than React. But because I had that React background, I was able to do stuff like um, if you go to newpodcastapps.com and you see all the filters and everything. Yeah. I was the one who built that because I know enough React that I could stumble my way through. Sure. 
but uh, I don't enjoy doing it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, it I was still, slow. Uh, I still love it a lot. I know a lot of people, but it's it's the funnest thing that I know in my limited window. You know what I sure. mean? So uh, if you look at the state of JavaScript uh, survey they do every year, Svelte always is growing in popularity and in positive opinions. And it's always one of the ones kind of that people tend to love and stick with. You know? So I yeah, think that's and- a pretty good testament to it. So I'm 42 and I'm getting to the point where um, I don't enjoy learning new stuff quite as much. Like I'm like, ah, this works. I know how it works. Right. So I'm pretty much, uh, I, I don't know that I'm going to explore a different uh, a different framework. Svelte works. It gets me what I want. I'm fast in it. But um, I understand with, uh, with React, um, dude, why wouldn't you learn that one? It's the most popular and like, yeah. And it's a good jumping off point too. Like once you learn that you can learn the other ones, uh, fairly reasonably. Yeah. And like, um, so Mitch is using react. Um, so you could jump in and help out with Podverse. Um, okay. So most people are using react, like yep. nobody but me is using Svelte. It's, a little lonelier in the Svelte world for sure, but I sure also never heard like, oh, fuck Svelte, it's stupid. You know, like every time I hear Svelte brought up, it's always like, oh yeah, Svelte, it's way simpler, way easier, way more streamlined. Yeah, it, it is. And um, it, it, I mean, they learned a lot from React and were able to fix a lot of the pain points. And what's interesting about it, so the way React works is it has to build a virtual DOM. Right. Um, Svelte is actually a compiler, so they're able to do stuff in it that you wouldn't normally be able to do. And then when you run the code, it compiles all of that into native JavaScript. So it ends up being a lot faster because you're not creating a virtual DOM. Sure. And you can do stuff that you wouldn't be able to do with React. So I really liked that. Um, And it was just, I, I can code almost as fast as I think. That's nasty. Whereas with uh, with React, I ended up having to uh, to slow down, especially with um, st- like your use effects and use yep. states and all that stuff. I'd be oh, like, yeah. what? Yeah. Make a context, man. Yep. Build a React context. Yeah. So there was a lot of boilerplate stuff that I had to do that uh, I just didn't enjoy doing. No, I totally get it, man. If I could uh, just switch my knowledge and just be at the same spot in Svelte, I would do it like that. You know, sure, but, uh, sure. That's that's the Tower of Babel shit that we. It is, man. But honestly, the thing that would help the most, um, it's the part that I don't like. I don't like documenting stuff and making tutorials and stuff. Mm. Like, I'd much rather build. That's why, like, Sovereign Feed's been around for two years, and uh, I know I need to document it. It's just boring to me. Yeah. Like, there's more. I, I'd rather build something new than document something old. Well, there you have it, bowlers. We got to document all this shit. We've got to get in there and teach other people how to use it via the documents. That's and, that's a really um, something that I think our creative community is is more adept at. Yeah, and there's been people doing it. Um, I think Eastside Tony had uh, done a video, and I know uh, Booberry's done videos showing yep. off what's going on with uh, Svelte Kit or um, uh, Split Kit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely out there, and uh, I. Boy, I really appreciate the guys doing that because I made um I made a video to show how you can host your documents on um DigitalOcean. Yeah, dude, that was a terrible weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that video. Yeah, it's a commitment to put that stuff out for sure. 
Yeah, it is. And then to do it well and um, to make it entertaining so it's not just my boring ass about monotone voice. Like. <laughs> uh, you don't have a boring voice, man. You have a great voice. Ah, I, I don't know, man. Not for a, I don't think for a, uh, a tutorial sort of thing. Maybe not. But I feel uh, I feel like I've learned a lot in this past uh, nearly three hours. Yeah, it's, it goes by fast. It does, right? It sure does. That's what's cool, too, about the the Bulls with Buds band. We always feel like old buds, even with new buds. Sure. Uh, I, th- I think we all, uh, we're all very similar people in this space. Yeah, I think that the, even though there's a lot of differences between us, I think that the number one thing we share is this comfort with allowing... First of all, a comfort with being our own true authentic selves and not like trying to hide or fake who we are, but also the grace and patience to let other people be their authentic selves as well. And like not try to, you know, push people around and say, no, you have to be this way because I'm this way. We're just all like, you know, here being real and allowing everybody else to be the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, hey, did you ever get a chance to watch uh, that Captain Fantastic? No. Um, Captain th- Fantastic. Yeah, it's got uh, Victor Hugo in it. Did you uh, link me to this or previously? Yeah. I had, oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Now that I yeah. pull it up, I see what you're talking about. And uh, they're, a, they're a homeschool family. And, um, dude, it's an excellent movie. I really recommend uh, anybody who um, is liberty-minded to watch it. Okay. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. I've got it on my list now. Now so it'll actually it get It will done. get watched. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's a very good movie, and um, it, it gets you thinking about, um, oh man, I'm trying to put it into words. So we are individuals, but we're also in a community. Totally. And like, what is the interplay between the responsibility of the community to the individual and the responsibility of the individual to the community? Sure. And um, I think that there's something... like. We are all individuals in this space, yeah. you know, and we respect the individuality of someone, but we're also a community of people who want to support that, and there are aspects of things that some of the guys believe that I don't necessarily believe, but those, um, those are not things that would cause me to not want to interact with. Yeah, totally. Like, we can... Uh hold our own differences and still like uplift one another. Yeah. And like, even with Adam, with the, uh, with discovering the Christianity and stuff. Yeah. Like it's been exciting to hear the journey he's going on, even though like I've had a very different journey as far as religion goes. Sure. But, um, you've got somebody like, uh, TJ and, uh, like his group, like, you know, those guys are Christians. Yep. But dude, I totally align with their whole value system. So we could believe in some of that, our spiritual stuff differently. Yeah. And still be together to support each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's beautifully said. And that's why, you know, you know, you're in the right place. You're in the right community. You're among, when we say like-minded people, we don't mean like carbon copy belief systems. We mean, we mean that we're all here on the same, you know, higher mission. Yep, and I love it, man. And um, those are like those are the people I want to be around. I don't want to be around a bunch of clones of me. It'd be a boring world, no doubt. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for spending this time with us and uh, enlightening us and bringing us these exciting tools. 
really making the scissors possible to run with at all. Um, I think we all, I speak for a lot of people when I say we owe all of this to you, you know, a big uh, debt of gratitude. So, well, I appreciate it, man. I just, I kind of found my niche. Uh, so it's just, it's been fun and exciting and, um, I'm glad that I can make it fun and exciting for everyone else too. Absolutely. Uh, bowlers out there in Bowlerland, thank you very much for uh, hanging out, for sending in your value. Uh, remember, you can boost this show at any time. Steven's getting a third of the split in perpetuity, forever and ever. Uh, check us out Tuesday night, this Tuesday and every Tuesday, uh, as we bring you the new Bowl After Bowl each week, 9 Central, right after DH Unplugged wraps up on the social, or on the uh, NA stream, I should say. And, uh... Until then, you can count on me being Sir Spencer, Wolf of Kansas City. And I will always be Dame DeLorean. And I am Stephen B. Till next time, bowlers. May your bowls burn ever brighter. Dance and move your legs around. I just want to say I'm not afraid. This is America, you dumb son of a bitch, okay? She is stoned. Ooh, stuck it in. Ugh. Recalcitrant boomer. Let's blame it on the weed, everybody. You better be streaming sats. Oh shit, yes. So good. The truth it can be a drug. Oh shit, yes. Bowl after bowl. Bowl after bowl.com.